Hello and welcome to the 6++ Plus Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Good evening all. It is yet again that 6++ Plus Show, the 40k show with the most amount of mathematical symbols and I'm in my own ear. Uh, the most mathematical symbols here again for yet another breakdown. I am joined by my dear leader, Chris. Chris has never threatened me and my state on the team to say nice things about him. Chris, how are you doing Hi. today? I am very well, and I'm excited for the Ed show. Um, Ed's going to be hosting for the first time, so I'm really excited. Of course, I didn't introduce myself. I am Tom, lowest of men. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had a haircut, I have a sail in the background. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is this could be the start of a revolution, really, if this goes well. I don't want to call it a coup. As a job interview. Oh, great! Uh, uh, we'll see I love goes. rolling into job interviews without preparing. That's uh, that's my comfort zone. Yeah, what we like. I'm I'm alright. I've uh, had a few days off, um, and yeah, loving life. Fantastic! You've been up to any 40k over the last few days? I have. Not. No, that's all right. I've painted some shroud runs, so when I tried to get my Yunari ready, I had to rush them. And so I've kind of done that crazy thing that no one ever does and returned to them. And I decided I'm gonna paint geometric like diamonds and angles on the on the, the jet bike body. And then obviously realised quite quickly it's quite hard to paint full straight lines. So I spent quite a lot of time fixing those mm. lines. And you know, from two metres away they almost look straight. <laughs> which is which is, you know, a thing in itself. It's it's a tabletop army. If you're not putting them in a display case, if it looks good at two feet, that's you know, yeah. valuable in itself. I did uh, I did start taping them up and mm. then it took me like three minutes for one model and I was like, nah, mm. it's not for me. Not, no, not that no. Life. So are we are we talking sort of Harlequin inspired patterns is that what we're going with i might have to see no, if you look at um if you just look at the shroud on a box site you'll see they've kind of got like these weird right angle diagonals diamond mm. type things just scattered all around um so yeah we're uh we've, we've gone for that it's reasonably repetitive across all sure. six models so and i won't i'm not gonna have to paint anymore so i am happy just you wait until 10th edition when they're the best unit in the book. <laughs> and I'll be running 18 of the bastards. Absolutely. And you'll be ruining the day that you went, I'm going to do some geometry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't want to paint anymore. Absolutely. True. Lovely. Well, thank you. Uh, let's go to It's Swizzly. How have you been this week? Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. He's having a great um, evening already. <laughs> yeah. Glad to be here, I see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I have just signed up to uh, Lewis's event to, uh, what would you call it, to get back on the horse after getting um, my bumhole. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. After getting my backside slapped. Let's call it that. Okay. Uh, at the weekend. There you go. Just the meat, not the hole. Just in the words of yes. <laughs> yes. I've got I got my cheeks slapped, I think that's what the kids say, right? Cheeks slapped. Um, clapped. There you go. So, yeah, that's right, very okay. different. I'll translate for our boomer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um God. I'm, I'm, flushed, I'm flushed already. Um, 
And I'll be telling you all about all about my experience uh, soon. But no, all good, all good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, other than that, though, yeah, very much looking forward to uh, to this event in two weeks. Now, I'm, I am that person who finishes an event, and I've spoken to a few people who some people finish an event and just like, right, I don't even look at a miniature for a week. Then other people like me or Max, who's my mate, are like, as soon as you finish an event, you're like, anybody else want another game? <laughs> any, more, any more of that plastic crack? I need that yeah. plastic crack, fam. Yeah. Give me a game. Give me a game. And that's yeah, that's what I've been my, doing. My my first proper event that I went to after getting back in the hobby was uh, the London LGT two years ago, um, and I thought I had a I thought I had a four one in me, and then the last game didn't go as I I felt it should, and after five minutes of self pity, I was sat on the you know the seats in the the stadium just going. Well, what if I took this out of my list? What if I put this in? <laughs> it was uh, so I can absolutely identify with that. Yeah, man. Yeah, but other than that, all good, all good. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So I don't think there's anyone else to talk about. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. How have you done? <laughs> How are you doing, Lewis? No, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well, thank you, Ed. I have yeah. uh, obviously been a, been absent from the podcast for a few weeks because. Uh, Frankly, I've had better things to do, but uh, do no, it's good to be a, back. a little bit of a tan, by any chance? Oh, no, not a chance. No. <laughs> I, uh, I am king of the pasty white boys in that I have to have Factor 50 on if I'm out in any direct sunlight for more than five minutes. Mm. Otherwise, they just go bright red. Um, and but I've actually avoided direct... going bright red. Yes, um, even though there with... was lots of direct sunlight. There was lots of direct sunlight in Gibraltar, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I guess we'll talk about that one later on. And for myself, I have been painting custodies because that is where the die has landed. I'm going to be taking custodies to the team event in four weeks now, so that'll be that'll be interesting. I've never played a defender role in a team tournament, so I'm looking forward to getting Michael cheeks clapped uh, for five <laughs> games in a row. I'm just going, it's fine, guys. I only lost by a little bit. I've done really well. That's going to be a fun experience. Just yeah, get, you under find bus, that... get under that bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ed Absolutely. definitely won't find that frustrating. He definitely won't. No, I will. I will ascend to my place of zen and find comfort in losing five games. It's going to be. It's going to be great. Perfect. Well, I guess we've been as a team. We've been to a couple of events. I think. Who would uh, Who would like to start talking about their events first? Uh, I think is. I know who it is. <laughs> Basically, once I start, I'm not going to stop. So everyone just needs to let's set come it to you, out. Let's come to you last, then. I think. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. We'll we'll come to Lewis last. Let's no, go... please do the guy that like did really well, and then comes the guy that did crap. Please. Well, it's, we had plenty of people who went to the uh, the Peterborough Slam, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> we don't have to dwell on everyone's individual results for too long. But um, do you want to take us away with that, given that you were there, Davy? Yeah, sure. So. Um... We we had a, a few people at Peter Slam. We had nine folk. <laughs> we were again, as as if you recall from last week, we were the second biggest super faction, um, <laughs> so, which was quite fun. Was it after chaos that we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was that was cool. Um, we all kind of were the mid-table terrors. Like we were all uh, very much like playing each other right in the mid in the mid tables. Uh, Kenneth had a had a like he he, he burst onto the scene, orc esque. Wiring all the way to the third round when I think he got beat by Jack Tight and then and then fell down at the end. But that's I think he still got a three two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, not, yeah. It's yeah, quite good that's, the game, that's the it? thing. He, he, apparently he's quite good, yeah. Um 
and I'm trying to think of anyone else. I think a lot of the guys went three two, um, and then a couple of say again. Paul went 4-1 with the... Ah, Paul doesn't count, man. He's taking Broken Army. So. Well, um, he's, he's, he took Dark Angels, but post-nerf Dark Angels with some fun stuff in the list from memory. I think he was taking some Blade Guard. Uh, he had some some choices in there that he enjoyed as opposed to being sort of the super cutthroat ones. Don't give him that. Don't give him that. Don't give him that. We need to play it down. We need to play it down. No, but yeah. well done to Paul. We need well done to Paul. Um, and yeah, yeah, pretty good. So overall, really fun. Um... A spoiler alert for the entire weekend. Um, it wasn't the results. It was the friends you made along the way. It was, honestly, the best thing about this event by a mile was having all of us there. Uh, because if you don't know, 6++ plus plus guys, well, I like, kind of geographically split up. There's uh, a lot of the guys who live in Peterborough, Cambridgeshire, and that kind of stuff. They're, they're, they're what you might call East. Then you've got like me, Tom, Aaron, a few of the others, uh, John, um, Lee, who are all over this side. And then you've got Edu, millions of miles away. But, um, but uh, you know, there's kind of like two halves. And Lewis as well, which is actually also miles away. Um, and as a result, we sometimes you don't bump into each other as much. So being able to catch up with the Peterborough boys was so much fun. They are horrible to each other. In only the best way possible. Horrible to each yeah. other. Uh, but so funny. I honestly haven't laughed at a 40k event like that in ages. So yeah, um, it was it was good. Now, onto the games. Big drink time. You've actually got a beer, you legend. Oh yeah, well I work for a beer company, don't I? By the way, have you tried in edit? It's wonderful. Um, Alright, cool. What size Let's is that bottle? Yeah, 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 that's a normal. No, I'm just really small, Lewis. This is a comes in pints. I'm only this big. Um, but no, it's cool. So let's talk about the event. So, Peter Slam. Uh, I'll be quick so that so that we can hear all about Lewis's winning. No one's here about me losing. Right. First of all, great venue. We've been there before. Uh, it's You've got everything you want. There's a bar. There's a, like a barbecue thing inside the bar. It's great. There's loads of food, loads of beer, good loose, nice clean loose, big fan of that. Massive tables, uh, space that you can put your army out next to your table. Imagine that. Uh, it was great. So big fan. Uh, and my favorite thing about uh, the setup was that it was only two tables next to each other and then a, then a space, then another two tables. What does that mean? You can get around the sites. You can actually see from different angles, get around your opponent's side dead easy without having to take a three-day hike around the uh, around the end of the table. So really great. Terrain was fine. Right. So a lot of people have complained about it. There was a lot of people chatting at the event saying, oh, you know, this terrain, that and the other, right? Sure, it was light. But in my humble opinion, um, I think we're absolutely spoiled for terrain at events, especially in this area. I think the terrain's amazing at the majority. Um, sure, this was a bit light. Could have been improved, yeah. But was it absolutely playable? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's not, you know, I didn't see any tower in the top three. Um, you know, there was, it was, to be fair though, it was demons who have an inborn. It was Dark Angels, Ravenwing, who have heard they're pretty good at shooting. Um, so the Votan top three was demons, final, demons. Weren't they? Say again? Votan were in the final against Jack, I think. They came fifth? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, so, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, shooting was an advantage, but it was absolutely playable, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah, the, the hexagon's a bit weird, right? Hexagon's a bit weird, but it's... I think that's going to come into its own very soon, you know, in a world where, in 10th edition, 
the game's going to be less lethal, maybe. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Probably having area stand standing, open, right? yeah, might be I having some light cover. Maybe that's valuable. So, and as well, let's contrast the terrain at uh, Paper Slam again, absolutely playable with Warhammer Fest. <laughs> that, it could have been what worse. Was <laughs> what was it? What happened? Who? You are at Warhammer World, right? You sell a terrain set, stick it on the table, let people play with it, and go, "Wow, this is a great terrain set." I might spend two hundred pounds on this. No, honestly. It was almost like someone, you could have put matchstick boxes out and just scattered them on a table. It would have been the same bloody terrain set. So overall, I'm, in my humble opinion, it was fine. All right. Uh, so let's talk about uh, my games. Um, so I first up played um, a, a lovely guy called Aaron uh, with his custodies on Tide of Conviction. Um, 23.98 in my lowest ever competitive scoring game. <laughs> It was a shocker. Um, the terrain uh, was set up so that it really rewarded fight in the fighting in the centre of the board. I don't do that great. It is, well, I'm not as strong as these custody guys. Aaron played it super well and essentially tabled me by turn three. Uh, and you know what? This was a big learning from the entire event. Um, to be honest, and this has nothing to do with the outcome, Aaron would have absolutely scored the same amount of points had this not happened, but this was hilarious. I rolled six double ones in the ter- in the first turn. <laughs> so that was uh, a warp ritual. I re-rolled warp ritual, a charge, uh, shooting uh, venom cannons. Like it was just so, every time I had the opportunity <laughs> to roll two dice, it was always a double one. And Aaron, Aaron was just sat there watching me going, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you punching yourself in the face? So, Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Yeah, exactly. I just couldn't get my head around it. But... I could have taken, I could have rolled all sixes, I could have taken different secondaries, and I would have still lost. And the reason is, is that I didn't prepare for the matchup enough. Um, I don't play custodians enough to understand how I win that game. And that, we'll get to it at the end, is one of my key learnings. So, um, Aaron was a great lad. He even bought me a loser's pint afterwards. So, but don't you worry, Aaron. I'll see you again and I'll get you on in 10th edition, all right? All right. Um, but he was a great lad. Right. Now, uh, after that, I went into JP with his Grey Knights on Abandoned Sanctuaries. Uh, I won 79-62. JP is a great lad as well, really nice. I've played him in the past and took the win, so I was a little bit worried he would come after me for revenge. Um, I don't don't like 1-1s, I like 2-0. That's what I like. Um, I think JP really kind of, unfortunately, chose the wrong secondaries in this game. He took a chance on me not using the Synaptic Ganglia ability, which allows me to re-roll my denies. Uh, he took Purifying Ritual and Teleport Assault. Teleport Assault's not a Psychic Secondary, but it sometimes can rely on it uh, to cast Gate, things like that. Yeah. So me being able to re-roll my Denies was really strong here. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of, unfortunately, come back to bite him in the butt a little bit. He also took Banners, um, which which my fast obsec apparently love. Um, so I was running over the board. It really rewarded me for not only taking down his Banners, but also stealing his, his uh, Primary. So, so unfortunately, I think it was just um, a bit of work on that. We had to talk about afterwards, and and uh, and yeah, it was really, really strong, really um, unlucky uh, picks from him. Absank is tough for me as well, though I don't score very well in it. My secondaries were tough to score. I only scored twenty, I scored twenty-eight in that game and in secondaries, but my primary was forty-one. Again, it really rewarded me for getting across the board, taking those objectives, burning those banners. Um, 
And then JP actually introduced me to the term loser's pint. So uh, thank you for thank you for that. <laughs> um, and I uh, he got me I, I got him a rum and coke to say thanks for the game. Really nice lad. And uh, I'm hopefully we'll see him at more events. He's talking about uh, playing a little bit more of Star Wars Legion. Bin that off, mate. Stick with 40k. All right, please. Um, no, because we need more of these cool guys in the game. All right, that's in my opinion. So um, then I got to game three. So the last game of the day, guys. I'm I'm a bit knackered. I'm I'm you know Mortal Kombat where you've been hit so many times. You're like, Ugh. that's where I'm at in my head. Um, I play Luke Townsend. So Luke Townsend is quite. He's, I see him at a lot of local events and national events. Um, and I know that he's, he's at least podiumed local events, won some of them as well. So I was like, oh, God. But he has taken Demons, and Demons is actually a favourable matchup for me at the moment um, with my list. And you might think, why is that? Well, I auto wound on fours with my Gorgon list. Um, so my Termagants do really good work into, for example, Bellacore, things like that. Um, so really nice. I took 12 wounds off Bellacore with Hormagants, which was really, really cool. <laughs> Uh, I would have done better, but I only took squads of 13 rather than my usual 15 because I wanted to give it a go. But hey ho. Um, this game can be boiled down to three mistakes that, that Luke made. Uh, one, he rolled high in the roll off to go first. Uh, that's his first mistake. Um, but then he didn't really have much choice in that one. But the second one was that um, um, turn one, he, so he's going first and he put something on every single objective um, in the middle. Obviously, trying to, you know, probably scream me out a little bit um, so that he can bring stuff down and then pressure me. Fortunately, my stuff loves things in the middle of the board because I can not only charge them and kill them, I can then overrun and sit on his objective. So overall, and then I was I took behind enemy lines, so I was scoring off that as well. So it's like the ideal scenario where you go into the middle, kill a unit, overrun, get behind enemy lines, take the home objective, bang, 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 guns everywhere. Um, so yeah, yeehaw. so he did that. Yeah, so then he did find a gap in my kind of uh, my counter attack. He brought down Balakor and all of his all of his uh, goons, but he did it in the top half of the battlefield, so that uh, it could really pressure the top objective and conversion. But that left the rest of the board, so I was able to kind of like sweep under that, uh, keep it busy with it with probably my favourite model of the entire weekend, which was the Tyrannosite just underappreciated like no one bothers with it and then you move it eight inches onto someone's objective and you go that's obsec five man and they go oh yeah and, yeah and it can charge moved. yeah oh man that drop pod where's that drop pod going um it's got legs yeah, it was... so yeah it was a, a pretty tough one um so yeah, I, I wish I counted how many how many points it scored me over the weekend. I'll do that next time. So instead of um, a great man once told me about triangles, and I think that um, his triangle he didn't have one. I did, and I think that's what won me the game. In all fairness. Great. So a really successful day one. We can probably wrap up there and move on. <laughs> yeah, two one. Let's call it an RTT and be done with it, right? Yeah, that's a really good RTT. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so that was uh, that was the first day. I'm going home. I'm like, I'm talking to Rob on the drive home. Going, Rob, two one. Yes, this is going great. Uh, are you uh, like I've been so crap recently. I'm, I feel like a, a three twos within my grasp. Rob, what have I got a four one? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? He couldn't imagine, and neither could I. Uh, so day two, I pull into uh, the wonderful man that is Dave Murdoch, uh, aka the Grey Knight himself, um, and with his Grey Knights. Uh, the score here was 81 to 91. 
So a real close game. Close. Yeah, it was fairly even all the way through. I was taking, I think from turn one to three, I was slowly building up a lead. Um, he missed a couple of teleport assaults. Um, it's going to my head a little bit. I'm doing victory dances. It's going great. Um, you know, I've already I've beaten Grey Knights the, the day before. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is going well. I'm blowing up um, Dread Knights with Venom Cannons. This is going great. I, I got uh, what my Hive Tyrant, three shots from Shard Gullet, blew up one entire Grey Knight. Uh, sorry, Dread Knight in a one -er. Feels great. Um, I took Obsec Monsters here uh, as well because Dave had no Obsec in his army. And I thought, oh, well, I... He hasn't, he's not taken any psychic secondaries. I might as well just double down on it and just take objectives. But I couldn't take that many. My plan was to win on primary. And I did. Do you know how many points I scored on primary? 55. <laughs> Do you know how many you can score? 45. And that is what really lost me. This game is that I um, totally forgot. I just didn't catch up with the how the tertiary was actually playing out. And I was like, yeah, this is sick. I'm, I'm absolutely barring him on, second, on primary. And he still scored 42 because he was just like, oh, still on my priority target objective. So that's that. Um, so, yeah, he scored 24 points in the last turn. So I was like, oh. <laughs> Sounds oh, like nice. going second on priority targets. No, he went first. He went first. Oh, yeah. God. So I, he left that's me with harsh. two models on the last turn. And I was like, oh, I guess I can only hold two objectives. Um, but it wouldn't have mattered. right? It wouldn't have mattered. He'd already just in the last turn just done it, done it him. Dave was my favourite opponent of the weekend. I love Dave to bits. He's so fun. Uh, we had a really good time, but also super competitive. So, so yeah, it was great. Um, all right. And then moving on to the last game, um, I drew uh, Death Guard. And I was like, I haven't played Death Guard in about a year. They didn't um, exist anymore. Yeah. Oh, well, they do. Let me tell you. Imperial Fits, even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even remember what faction you played. That's how little you see them. <laughs> The yellow ones, mate. Come the on, yellow ones, up. back in your box. <laughs> Sorry, Davey. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You, you, um, this was probably the most sobering game where uh, everything that everything crap from game one came back to haunt me. Um, so this was, again, another army that I've just not got enough reps into. I just didn't know how to win this because I was like, all right, he's going to walk at me slowly and I'm just going to shoot at him. And then eventually I'll just win the day. No. There was 20, 24 Terminators, or 23 Terminators. Um, and I started looking at my secondaries, and I'm like, what am I taking here? I can't, I'm not going to assassinate like a mug. I'm not going to take Cranial Feasting, because I'm not going to kill him in combat. I have to take Banners? Oh, my God. Like, and it was Scrape Salvage. Banners can work. Banners can work. But in reality, the oncoming tide was so strong that I couldn't afford to spend time raising Banners and things like that. I was just too busy trying to kill stuff and save like save some of my army. So, um, Hormigan, and of course he can heroically intervene, so screening him with Hormigans isn't that great. You can still get some good movement off it. So, um, Ray slowly took over the board while I continued to fill warp rituals, take minimal prisoners, and raise too few banners. And overall, the score was 55 to 85, so a bit of a battering again. Overall learnings here. So, I... I did well in the matches that I do well at. Um, even 81 against Dave, I was really happy with. You know, I scored 81 points. It's tyranny. That's pretty cool. Um, so revel in my good matches, but work harder at my, my hard ones, right? The ones that I don't really know. They're the gaps, and I don't know them. They need to be fixed. And I think that's going to be my, my big learning. If you're like me and you don't have the mental capacity to just pull out all this information out of your head, I know Ed's really good at this. Like, he can just, like, tell you something off the top of his head. I can't. 
So one of the things that I have done um, is uh, create a like a Google Sheet doc, and I've got notes about every faction, and I've had this for a while now, but I just noticed how many factions I don't have any notes on, and I think that's going to be my big focus is just to kind of build up those notes, and uh, and try and understand the faction the the the, the matchups a little bit better moving forward. Um, and of course, work on my secondary picks a little bit better, really. I think there was there was more points to be scored at the weekend. I didn't know. I'm, I'm, I've realised that it is a bit of a gap of mine since Aaron started asking me, like, what secondaries I might take in. And I would reel off, like, yeah, this, this, and this. This is what's going to happen, and this is how the game goes. And he looks at me and goes, what are you even talking about? That's exactly not how this game goes. <laughs> so, so Aaron's kind of like my secondary coach at the moment. So uh, I'll be I'll be bending his ears. So yeah, over, overall that's kind of how it went. Um, big shout out to Kenneth as well because he won best sporting. Um, he was oh, he was a blast nice. all weekend. He was a blast all weekend and he was he was great fun to be around. So well done, Kenneth. And that was uh, my and the not obviously the wider team, but that was the overall sim, uh, Peterborough slap. That sounds a lot Stunning more positive effort. than than how you sounded about it initially. I think that's. Um, <laughs> A lot more good in there than maybe initially sounds on the score for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy with three games. Uh, and then two games I'm really not happy with. And I think it's just the learning, right? It's the learning. And uh, it's, all, it's fine because I'm going to win Saffron Slam. So. Sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That'd be the ultimate in learning. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also having reasonable expectations is really important. <laughs> definitely do that. Um, um, yeah. 3-2 is what I'm aiming at. We'll see. We'll see. I think the confidence for a 4-1 was great. But I think, you, I mean, you've raised a very good point about knowing what the other armies do. I think you're instantly at a disadvantage if you don't necessarily know what your your opponent's army can do, what it's capable of, how far it moves, how fast. Like you can, your opponent can tell you all the threat ranges and tell you everything that it does. But without you actually going to see it, mm. it's very difficult to picture well, this, this and, and learn. I, could, I, I knew what they did. I didn't know how to beat it. That's yeah. the thing. I think that's the big difference, right? I know that you, you hear out of what I say all the time. Oh, Death Guard, <laughs> I'll just stay 16.1 inches away. <laughs> and then that doesn't work because they that's come and punch you, you in wrong. the face. You're 17.1 inches. So, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that's why you lost. <laughs> he did make a 10 inch charge turn one. He did make a 10 inch charge turn one. But, um, that's spicy. but no, he, he, you know, he, he even laughed about it. He said, I'm just going to roll this. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Nice, nice. I'm so happy um, for you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm well done. Great job. Um, but no, every one of my opponents was a blast. So, I was overall like a good weekend. So, yeah, cool. Lovely. Fantastic. Well, there was one more event that uh, we had on the books. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, just a little one. Just a little just bit. A little, little teeny tiny event um, in, a, uh, in a little place called Gibraltar, which you might have heard of. One of the colonies. Um, <laughs> Of, uh, of his majesty um, no yeah so this is the Gibraltar Grand Tournament um, so it's an event that's run, that's run by the team at SN Battle Reports one of uh, one of our great competitors here at Six Plus Plus, uh, no, lovely group of guys. Um, it's a uh, it's an event. Um, I've not been to the GT before, but I've been to their No Retreat events a couple of times before. Um, so I kind of know what uh, what the standard is over there in Gibraltar, uh, which is incredible. Um, was fortunate fortunate enough this time to take 
two of my closest mates um, with me who've never been before. So my mate Chris and uh, I think I've seen him on the chat. King Julian um, is uh, has come along as well. Um, it was a 80-person six-round GT um, with a couple of um, army composition differences from uh, a standard 2K event. Um, first being that the armies were 1750 points instead of 2000. Um, which for me was an absolute lifesaver because I was painting Imperial Fists up until about 9 o'clock the night before, given we were leaving, at he leaving for Heathrow at 3am. Um, so I got literally no sleep before the, uh, before the event because I hadn't even packed. And Julian turned up my front door at 9 o'clock going, are you finished? I was like, I'm still in the basement painting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and also alongside it only being 7050, you had to choose five stratagems as part of your army list. Um, which looks like is what's effectively going to be happening in 10th edition coming up. Um, and actually, for me, I think that's, an, that's a really, really great way of, uh, of setting up a tournament because you remove a lot of that kind of gotcha moment stuff that you get from having 45 million stratagems per faction, um, assuming you, you can obviously understand what the five stratagems your opponent's chosen do um, and keep those in your head, which, which is not too difficult to do if there's only five. Um, and being 1750 as well, it, it kind of you, you fit that into the game time a lot easier, and there's a lot less kind of stress or time pressure. So, it it, it all kind of comes together to make a, a slightly more uh, chilled experience rather than um, rather than some of the 2K stuff can be. So, uh, very good. I think the, the venue as well for the for the event was was brilliant. It's an, an old converted chapel in the centre of Gibraltar. So it's got a huge stained glass window at one side and it's a long kind of obviously with a uh, with a pitch roof down the middle. Loads of space around the board. So like Davey was saying, each board in this event is individual. So you've got full 360 around your around your board. So none of the boards are pushed together at all. Um, and as is the standard now for SM Battle Reports events, the terrain they put together is incredible. Um, I shared some photos on my Instagram over the weekend and 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 uh, and, re and yesterday. Just brilliant. Um, the level of terrain that I would like for my Saffron Slam events, really. Um, so I'm effectively trying to kind of shamelessly copy that when I create mine. In that the majority of the boards are on this really lovely themed terrain. Like there's a big one one board with this massive bridge going across the middle of it with with buildings sort of overhanging it on all sides and there's this big towel one that's got these big towel plasma generators and all sorts going on so really properly like deep into the lore of 40k in terms of in terms of the board which is amazing and then the top sort of eight ten boards we're using the wtc layout i think it is um so lots of um ground floor blocking line of sight and that sort of stuff so those players that after the first couple of games were performing well um got to play on sort of more balanced terrain and everyone else who's there to have a really good time and, and make the most of it gets to play on the really themed stuff which which in my opinion is, is the best way to run an event um i think that gives you the best balance between uh, between a competitive experience but also fun um crucially the venue also had air conditioning which in gibraltar when it's 28 29 degrees outside is absolutely important because i can't imagine what it would be like with 29 29 degrees and 80 smelly war gamers in a room together <laughs> that would be pretty grim i should imagine so, so from like sense. every uktc event you be going to open <laughs> summer, my friend yes i remember last year it's hot as balls leeds leeds was it leeds leeds was the one that i remember that where everyone people were like fainting and stuff oh, wow okay <laughs> yeah. i think we we go to different events i i don't live in an 1800s you know uh romance novel where <laughs> war gamers are clutching at the pearls and oh golly um 
Oh, Maybe we're I missed six. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so brilliant, brilliant venue, lovely, lovely team. The, the SN guys put all the food on for the weekend, which is really nice. Um, so you didn't have to go worry about where, where you're going to get food from. Um, and those guys at SN Battle Reports is genuinely a, a really lovely group of guys. Um, I think they genuinely care about the players' experience over the weekend over anything else um, and, that, and that simple stuff like one of the team organised a, a big group meal out one evening obviously because a lot of us have flown in from, from other parts of the world so sort of 20, 25 of us went to this big meal um, and it kind of shows as well in the, in the format that they approached the weekend as well um, so the event it's six rounds um, so it's obviously a six round 80 person event that's quite a decent sized event normally that would normally be split over two days with some poor sort of having to play four games in one day but it, in this occasion we uh, um, they split it in two games a day so I don't know about anyone else but after three games of 40k I am dead I am completely dead to the world two games of 40k however I can handle and then we can go out for dinner and then we can go for get some drinks or we can go for have a look around the rock and do all the other stuff so um when you're abroad in all that heat, just play, be able to play two games and, and, and relax after that is uh, is perfect, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, would thoroughly recommend anyone that wants to go to Gibraltar um, to, to hit up those guys. So, um, And I would say, just as well, from a personal level, the guys at SM Battle Reports have, have supported me in the Saffron Slam since I got started. They, they provide our, our first prize event uh, winner's prize, which is the um, subscription to their uh, to their uh, paid for service which they didn't have to do they didn't have to help they did there was no there was no need for them to, to, to give me that for free for all of my events and um, I'll, I'll always be grateful to them for that but yes on to the games themselves which is actually what everyone wants to hear instead of me just whinging on about how great it is um, Seventeen fifty points of imperial fists clearly the most overpowered codex in the game at the moment um, just a level above the rest of the competition um, so only I could screw that up uh, but no my list two, two units of intercessors two units of heavy intercessors the most powerful data sheet in the book um, apothecary of all the relics and warlord traits all the normal selfless healer stuff tech marine captain Dravastis Fane who is the imperial fists fifth company captain um, I was using the tall Garadon rules for him six devastator centurions all the heavy bolters and then most importantly Matilda, the Battle Maiden, who is a Falchion Super Heavy Tank Destroyer. Um, I have kept a kill tally for Matilda, which I will reveal at the end, um, because it's quite impressive, and does include some of my own models, which is always it's always great when you're tank you your own models, so um, always excellent to see. Um, and my five strats, for anyone that cares, were smokescreen, so I could put minus one to hit on her. Although, in my head, the image of a falchion just suddenly just disappearing in a cloud of smoke. That's a pretty big cloud of smoke. Like, <laughs> a, a you bright, do well not to shoot in the smoke. falchion. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, but that definitely works. It has the smokescreen keyword, so I'm using that. That kept her alive definitely at least two games. Um, all spec scan, obviously, to try and deter people from dropping anywhere near me. Tank hunters, which is an Imperial Fist one for plus one to wound. Shield unwavering, which is an Imperial Fist one for plus one save. And combat revival, so my buff carry could bring the Centurions back from the dead. So my first game, and now obviously going into this event, expectations pretty low. Um, I joke about Imperial Fists, but they are pretty bad. And my list is pretty bad. It only moves five inches. It has no ability to score any secondaries whatsoever. The shooting output is great from the Centurions, pretty average from the Falchion. So I was not expecting a huge amount. 
my favourite thing about them is how all their rules synergize. So they've got exploding sixes on the bolt weapons, which is fantastic. And then you've got that plus one damage against vehicles and buildings on everything that's strength seven and higher. Remind me, are there any strength seven bolt weapons that you could take? Do you know what, Edward? I don't think there are. I don't think there are either. <laughs> I think it might cap out at strength six with like a bolt, so some bollocks. But yeah, so that's uh, slightly upsetting. But yeah, how did you get on? I do get to ignore cover as well, which is actually quite useful. That is probably the best Out of all of them, trade. that's a useful yeah. one. So if I wanted to do it properly, I'd probably just take a normal Space Marine list and make it ignore cover for the whole game. And the and Iron Hands book, and then just paint them yellow. Yeah. yeah, it's tricky as well when every terrain set was probably different, right? Because they were all different cool terrain sets. Yeah. So some of them will have had loads of like cover, and other ones will have just been like straight edge walls, I imagine. Exactly, yeah. Some of them give blocking, some of them don't. And the first game I played was in like a destroyed spaceship. So it's like a, a big spaceship that had crashed into the battlefield, so you could go in it. So loads of opportunities for cover in there, but then sort of my second or third game I was playing on, on one that was all kind of like big rocks and things like that so unless you're right on the rock you, haven't, you don't really get much chance of cover you're just relying on blocking line of sight as your means of defence uh, I'm sure that really upset you when you went oh no my opponent doesn't have any cover and I have loads of guns <laughs> anyway <laughs> my faction trait oh no it's useless well that would be really great some dice. if I did have I had more than a 5 inch move so I could actually get round the pieces of cover mm. to actually see anything because um, they're, they're all dense, all the boards are really dense, so it's not like you've got, it's not like open. There might not be cover that you can stand in, but there's enough obscuring that you can't be seen anyway, so you just have to look at it in a slightly different way. But um, but yeah, so my games, anyway, see how many I lost. Um, my first game was up against Jose and his Thousand Sons, um, Spanish guy, huge amounts of energy, just what I wanted really to get started on the weekend. That's what you want. Your first game, you want someone that's just just so excited to be there He's a, it was a total legend that guy um i really enjoyed that game and uh, hopefully uh, he uh he'll, he enjoyed it as well um he basically had two big blocks of scarab cult terminators loads of characters loads of units of spawn rubik marines and that thousand sons uh cult that allowed you to teleport all over the place so it's just going and i don't know what's going on so um Basically, I just in a lot of these missions, I took banners and then two kill ones because I realised when I started, having not really played many practice games, that my list doesn't score any secondary points, really. Um, so I have to take banners and then hope my opponent gives up points. <laughs> um, so this one was just a case of holding the line, or sitting on two objectives, holding banners, and slowly falling backwards as all these Terminators jumped all over the place and tried to kill me. Um, and what I didn't realise as well, Thousand Sons can do, learn something new, so they can snipe characters with their psychic powers. Yeah. So uh, Apothecary died turn one, because he was out there. <laughs> <laughs> he was just behind the Centurions, but just I was like, oh, he doesn't need to be in cover, he's fine. And then he just teleported next to him and blew him up. So um, that wasn't great, because the Centurions definitely need the Apothecary to stay alive. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, because Captain Dravastis Fane, he stepped up. Last turn of the game, punked four Terminators to retake my home objective. Stop him holding the primary, meaning we finished 63-58 to me. So I got my first win with Boss. a very, very lucky combat with Torgaradon punching punching four Terminators to death. <laughs> Sounds entirely uh, fair and reasonable. <laughs> so yes, skin of my teeth on that first one, but I have now officially won a game with Imperial Fists at a tournament. So I've oh, achieved nice. my aim for the weekend. I can now go home. Lewis, what's Torgaradon? Is he any good? So basically, the reason I take him is he, he is one of the only characters that can buff non-core units. So he can just give any Imperial Fist unit a 2-plus ballistic skill. 
So it works on the Centurions really, really well, but it also works quite nicely on the Falchion if the Falchion gets really damaged and the Tech Marines mm. plus one to hit can't Ooh. get him up to a decent Ballistic skill. So oh. Garadon can make him two plus Ballistic skill. So, so even on bottom bracket, he's Ballistic exactly. skill too. That's yeah. cheeky. I like that. So he, he does keep... And he's he's um, he's got a strength 12 sort of power fist attack. So he's quite... And with six attacks, so at damage four. So he's quite good in combat. Ooh. Like, Overcompensating, <laughs> some um, would say. <laughs> yes, slightly. Um, so yeah, no, he's he's quite good. I like him. Um, I'm using the um, Rogal Dawn model from Heresy to represent him. Um, so uh, I've done a half decent job on him, if I do say so myself. I'm really disappointed that you uh, didn't leave him as a Simpson. Uh, the initial pictures you put in the group chat, you had a <laughs> yellow face as well. And, uh, you could tell I was speed painting, because I was like, I just need to get yellow on all these models as quickly as mm. possible. And then it was like, he had a yellow face, and I was like, oh no, he just looked like Homer. <laughs> Don't! <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I've officially won a game, so it's all good. It's a great day to be Imperial Fist. Up against Necrons next, game two, Dale, lovely bloke, brought his family with him as well. Um, and they were actually, they kept coming up to me for the rest of the weekend asking how I was getting on, which is really, really nice actually. Contributes to the overall kind of wholesomeness of the event in that if people have brought their families and kids and stuff, which is just quite nice actually to have that have that going on, take some of the intensity out. But he basically had two massive big blobs of shooty destroyers, um, loads of wraiths, loads of scarabs, Nightbringer, and two Doom Scythes, two Crossons, which you don't see very often. I love those guys. Yeah. Peak, peak Necrons right now, um, and uh, they had the horrible anti-tank guns, which actually are, are pretty nice, nasty against tanks. Um, Chris remembers. Yeah. Take us back to eight. <laughs> the good old Doom Six oh, list. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, they yeah, can fuck, make it fuck Imperial Fist. Let's just talk about Eighth Edition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the majority of people in the chat would rather talk about Eighth Edition. <laughs> I feel like they're both. For most people, probably as relevant. <laughs> <laughs> you are the one Imperial Fist player, but you're doing well, so you need to. You do need to tell us about it. Sorry. I've, yes. I've, I've, so he was using the Obsec Dynasty, as, you, as most Imperial, as most Necron players do. He got first turn, which I was a bit worried about with all those destroyers, but didn't quite capitalise on his shooting. I think he split his fire a little bit too much. So didn't take the Falchion out. Didn't kill the Centurions. Left them both, kind of still knocking about, and then looking at his destroyers. So there's one thing that this list is good at. And it's good at stuff that's only got three plus save and doesn't have any vulnerable save, which destroyers do not have. So Falchion with his flat seven and flat D3 plus four damage guns makes a right mess out of destroyers, um, which meant that my turn one was pretty devastating. I picked up 12 destroyers and six wraiths basically immediately, um, yeah. which I don't think Dale was expecting. Uh, the Centurions put out a horrific amount of firepower. They might be very slow, but they will really mess up your day. Um, but Dale was still kind of in the game. He had his Nightbringer being quite aggressive. Um, but again, he made a little bit of a mistake in his second turn where he got the charge sequencing wrong with the Nightbringer. And he charged the Centurion, so they overwatched and gave me another phase of damage, basically, which is the one thing you don't want to do if you're running Catan is if someone mm -hmm. that's got, only got one phase army to give him another phase of shooting. And um, Centurion's overwatching with 108 shots will do at least three wounds to a Catan with exploding sequences, obviously. Um, 108 shots? Have, so each right. Centurion has 12, have, has 12 Hurricane Bolt shots and 6 Heavy Bolt shots. Um, so, yeah, they do make a bit of a mess. Seems fair and reasonable. Yes, but it basically meant that as a result of that charge, I then killed him in combat, which meant that the game was basically over by turn 2, unfortunately for Dale. He, Necrons do score well, so he was still scoring, but 
because he'd given up so many no prisoners points and things like that and assassinate points I did go on to win 88 to 52 um, I would have won 92 to 52 but I decided in my last turn it was literally he all he had left was his overlord and I thought right overlord is looking at Falchion and all these centurions but I'm not going to do the dishonourable thing and kill him with shooting I am going to leave the shooting and charge Torgaradon in Travastis Fane to go and kill him he then proceeds to make four out of four of his four plus vulnerable saves and kills Dravastis Fane, does seven wounds back and kills me in return. <laughs> so, uh, um, yes, I, that was that taught me and that cost me four assassinate points. Um, so, <laughs> you can say how I was taking this at this point, but that yeah, was all good. Um, Chris Parker is one of the guys who has who came with me. He brought his Necrons and he's just in the chat. He just said he lost because he didn't have a Doomsday Arc. Um, so Chris appears to be the only person. I think he's now third in the world for Necrons, and uh, he runs Doomsday Arcs in his list, um, which he actually just uses as battering rams because the guns are so bad. Um, just obsec battering rams, just charges them in and goes, you can't kill these guys, so here we go. <laughs> but uh, somehow now third in the world with his Necrons, so after a brilliant performance in Gibraltar as well. Uh, but yeah, basically means end of day one, I'm 2-0 and with Imperial Fists. Yes. Top of the world. Yes. Whoa! So uh, everyone in the 6++ plus plus WhatsApp group is wondering what the hell is going on, wondering if this tournament even exists, and I'm just making up <laughs> these results. <laughs> Had to send some photos to prove that I was actually playing games of 40k and not just sending fake results in. I, I was confused what, you know, how you can afford to hire 79 paid actors. But, yeah. <laughs> They're yes, cheaper in Gibraltar, that's why you have to fly. <laughs> International waters and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so actually that means that puts me on the bloody competitive boards now. So I've come all this way to Gibraltar to play on these really lovely boards, and now I'm on the top table, so I'm on table two after two rounds, playing on the, on the really cool WT, WTC stuff, which is fine, but not what I was interested in. But then, so I played next, a gentleman called Richard and his Grey Knights. Um, nice enough guy to chat to. Um, I think he's quite new to Knights Edition and, and Grey Knights, because I think we had to catch up on a few of the rules. Of, of the game and uh, a movement of models and some of the Grey Knight rules during the match. But luckily, I actually have the um, Grey Knight Codex on my phone on the Warhammer app, so I was able to have that out and just kind of guide through the uh, through the different rules and uh, and get the full five turns played out. Um, he was running the, the classic three Dread Knight list, loads of Interceptors, Paladins. He actually had Drago as well, which I thought was a great choice. Um, I managed to get first turn this time around and took out Dread Knight with the Falchion um, and just basically dumped everything into the midboard. Um, I didn't really know what else to do in this situation because, again, it's another army that just jumps all over the place, so you can never pin it down anywhere. So um, I just thought, I'll sit in the middle. I've, I've got a couple of objectives. He's going to have to come to me, which obviously did have to do. Unfortunately, Dread Knights don't quite have enough shooting to kill a Falchion in one turn, which basically means it's left alive. Um, and then uh, what the Falchion can see, it tends to kill. So after that, and obviously because he's uh, I'm Imperial Fist, he can't use Tide of Shadows, so he's, he's dropped a load of resilience on what you'd normally expect a Grey Knight player to have. Normally they expect to be in cover all the time, so they get plus one to their save all the time, but when they don't have that, I think you can make some assumptions about what kills what based on your previous experience, which doesn't really apply when you play Imperial Fist because they're that good. Um, so once I'd parked everything in the middle of the board and he had to come to me to try and win the game, um, I basically just killed everything that I saw, um, and like intercept units and stuff do go down, even to heavy intercessors because I'm damaged to AP3, so like it doesn't get much of a save, and <coughs> he does, and they do bring them down. 
Um, although it was a really awesome moment when uh, Drago made his second 10-inch charge of the day, first out of Deep Strike and then into the Falchion, um, and then rolled four out of four wound rolls to do exactly 16 damage, which was enough to kill it. It then exploded and killed my Apothecary, which was a great shape. So uh, that will come onto my kill tally in a minute, but Falchion, yes, has, has officially killed one of my own models. Did it kill Drago? It didn't kill Drago. It did one, one more wound to Drago, which he oh, passed good. on his stupid save he gets. So, oh. um, but it did also kill three paladins when it did that. Uh, two paladins when it did that, sorry, which then lost him control of the objective he was on, meaning I got a 12 on the following first round. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it didn't quite go to plan, that charge. Um, but it was funny nonetheless. Um, but all that being said, it was another win for me, which is exciting, 88 to 59. So now, gentlemen, we're halfway through a tournament. I'm three games in, and I've won all of them. And we're looking at Imperial Fist on 100% win rate. And the I've seen on like, Warhammer Community saying that Imperial Fist, the, the yellow paints have increased sales 400% <laughs> in the last half an hour. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, what someone else has bought a falchion? Oh my god, that's a 100% increase. One other person on the planet has bought a falchion. <laughs> oh dear. So yes, but obviously this was all going to come crashing down at some point, clearly. Um, so uh, my next game, uh, I was on table table two this time, um, into Blood Angels. Uh, Joe Moscardini, who is a gentleman who's come to No Retreat and to Brawler events before, so I've known him for a while, lovely bloke. Um, has an absolutely stunning army, properly, genuinely incredible. Um, I think he's called Nova Sanguine on Instagram, but I would thoroughly recommend anyone who likes amazing paintwork to go and check out his army because it's just incredible. Um, he's won a lot of awards for it, and I can see why. But it's basically uh, combat, 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 combat. Lots of Death Company, Sanguinary Guard, Blade Guard, all the characters, and then two Plasma Redemptors. Um, now, as I've said before, my army's pretty slow. Um, which means, from, from my perspective, trying to get the best out of the army, I have to get my deployment right. I need to make sure that all of my models start on the board in exactly the right place, so I don't need to worry about trying to reposition them during the game. They need to start in a place where they can move onto something that gives them line of sight, or be in a position where they can threaten multiple areas of the board, get some firing lanes, whatever it needs to be. Unfortunately, in this game, completely balls that up. Totally screwed it. Literally, Centurions were right in the wrong place, stuck around terrain pieces with no windows in them. Um, wrong intercessors were on the front line, so I had the slow ones in the wrong place. Characters were out of position, so therefore I had to move other units into weird positions to protect the characters from getting shot by the Redemptors in the first turn. Um, and as, as a result, because everything only has a 5-inch move, can't advance and shoot or do any kind of shenanigans, I couldn't really get myself, even from turn one, really into a position where I could kind of flip things back into my advantage. Couldn't see enough stuff to stop the impact of his charges. And as a result, ended up getting wrapped, getting trapped, um, and just Joe... Getting um, slapped. Yeah, basically. <laughs> got my cheeks <laughs> slapped. <laughs> or clapped, as it were. No. Um, you get a player of... Uh, I think Joe went on to come fifth or sixth in the event overall, won, won five out of six of his games. He's too good a player that you can make those sort of mistakes against and expect to be able to recover the game. Tried my best, managed to take it all the way to basically we were 35-35 going into turn four, and then I basically ran out of models, um, and he scored 40 points in his last two turns. <laughs> so it went from 35-35 to 35-72. Um, oh. So uh, unfortunately, gents, I've now lost a game with Imperial Fists. 
and the status quo has been restored. Indeed. The universe <laughs> breathes a sigh of relief. As Blood angels are definitely better. <laughs> but no, I think I'd, I'd really like to. I had a good chat with my friend Chris afterwards about where I could have deployed differently and how I could have done it differently. And I think I think it is a win- winnable game, even for the Imperial Fists being completely outmaneuvered, being out outsped, outfasted. Um, I think I could have could have got the win in that game if I'd have changed my deployment round should anticipate the fall on fury a bit better and, and all that sort of stuff so um options there i think in the future that i can come back to which would be really good if i can get another game in um so game five my hopes of winning the event are over that's it i'm, I'm not going to go away with the trophy um which is devastating um because Imperial you may Fist as well pack up and go home exactly yeah what's the point if if i can't go to an event and win with imperial fist it's just what is the what is the point in playing 40k um and f- as a result of losing, I got rewarded with a game into guard, game five. <laughs> Were you still on one of the top tables with uh, cover? I had dropped onto one of the themed boards, but it was a very, very dense themed board. Okay, so that's okay. In, actually, in such a respect that there was a position I could put the falchion where there's only one firing angle onto it across the other side of the board. Um, because it is Titanic, so you can see through obscuring terrain to shoot it so it can't hide if there's windows you can see through them but the terrain was like these big buildings with all like these ruined bits and and um like loads of um corrugated iron sheeting and stuff on the front of them so they weren't you couldn't really see through the buildings um but it's such a big model being 12 inches long and nine inches wide that it does poke out of of most things um it was a, a pretty pretty standard competitive guard list as far as i can tell i haven't played competitive guard that much but um, three Lehman Russes, one of them was Tank Commander, two Plasma Cushioners, one of them with Gatekeeper, um, the Super Battle Cannon Relic, uh, a Rogal Dawn with a Damage 4 gun, um, a load of Kassakin, loads of infantry, mortars, the pl- platoon command squads, all the good stuff. Um, a guy's name is Tom, he's actually, he lives here in Essex, um, so uh, and he comes to Saffron Slam quite a lot, he's coming in, in two weeks time. Um, we've travelled all the way, all the way down to almost Africa. Um, and to play a guy who's like half an hour up the road <laughs> but um, Tom is notorious around here for being a horrible win at all costs player he wants to end your games with you in tears begging for mercy um, so no he's not, he's, he's generally a lovely bloke um, and obviously tricky matchup for Imperial Fists because they outshoot you really from this. they outshoot you and they outscore you in the A they can shoot and B that they can score which two things that I don't do that well um, for a shooty scorey army um, so if if my previous game against Blood Angels was an example of how not to deploy this game is an example of exactly how I should deploy um, Tom with his guard got first turn which obviously big concern um, but I'd in my infinite wisdom position the falchion which actually in this matchup, we take the piss out of it, in this matchup, the Falchion is absolutely critical because Lehman Russes, other than that tech priest bloke, don't have any vulnerable safe. So the Falchion will pick up Lehman Russes for free. Um, but basically, when when Chris Julian and I had done the maths the night before, we knew that if we could get the Falchion in such a way that only the main guns of the Lehman Russes and not all the sponsons could shoot them, he would not, on average, pick up the Falchion. Um, so basically back corner of the falchion in a way that you can only be seen from one location Tom did try and go for the falchion which I think was the right decision I think he could have gone about it a slightly different way but it was the right decision to try and get the falchion um, and, but he, uh, with my deployment I'd managed to screen out the Kassakin so they couldn't get within range of their guns of the falchion so they couldn't do the mortal wound bomb on it um, 
couldn't drop anywhere near it basically and he could only shoot me with the main guns on the tanks which basically meant that the falchion was left after turn one with about 11 wounds left um so with a cheeky revive obviously i had this minus one to hit from the smoke screen so that definitely affects guard um and uh, it meant that the tech marine could heal matilda back up to her top bracket and allow her to return fire now she has got 120 inch range on her main guns so she doesn't mind sitting in the back corner if she can see them and rusts that are trying to shoot at her um so uh, it was quite a punishing first turn uh falchion just one shot one of the russes just gone get out and centurion's got another one um and suddenly Tom was gone from being quite a strong position to looking down the barrel of Bolter Death. Um, of the Falchion. <laughs> of the Falchion. So he, he can't move the tanks closer to the Falchion because the Centurions are right in front of him now because it's on that diagonal deployment with the little circle in the middle. So I'm quite close. I just moved him out into the middle, into cover, and just said, Tor Garadon's here. He's damaged four. If you come any closer to me, I'm charging you, and I will kill Lehman Russes quite happily. So at that point, the Falchion is sitting there He's got death from close range, death from long range. He can't quite finish the Centurions. He can't quite finish the Falchion, which basically meant by turn two I was able to deal with all the tanks. Um, and that really ends any serious threat he has to my army. But what I didn't realise is whilst all this is going on, he is just scoring millions of points. Guardsmen, all they have to do is exist on the board and they, skip, they score points. They just have to be on the board, and he gets That's points. difficult for guardsmen, though, to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah true. <laughs> when I have to put heavy bolters into Lehman Russes to try and kill them, guardsmen are laughing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, by, by sort of turn three, he was sort of 15, 20 points ahead, and I'm just like, whoa, this isn't good. I might actually table him and just lose. So I literally just had to go all out. I was like, everything's charging forwards. Um, I need to take these objectives off him as quickly as possible. He hasn't got anything that can really threaten me, so I'm even the melter guns and stuff in the guard squads. So the chance of them hitting, killing, and and getting through a centurion, even with with the apothecary and all that sort of stuff, is quite low. So, um, just use the guardsmen as little speed boosts in combat to kind of try and cover the board and get over my five-inch movement, which basically meant right in the very last turn, I was able to overtake him on the primary um, and finish the game 78-84. So there we are. Genuinely, at this point, I'm on cloud nine because I'm four and one with fists at this point at a competitive event. Um, and after that, after he got first turn, I've genuinely thought that game's done. I've lost. He's going to kill the Falchion and, and I'm not going to be able to hit him back enough and he's just going to score, score, score. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've far exceeded all expectations now. So game six is a bonus, which is why I didn't feel too bad when I drew uh, Will and his Tau. He is he's one of the SM Battle Reports team, lovely bloke, top guy, and um, he actually plays for one of the international WTC teams. So, yes, very good player with a slightly scary tower list, big crisis blob, two riptides, long strike, two commanders, all accompanied by a million drones. Um, so there's one thing that Tau don't suffer from in the way that Guard do, and that's the manoeuvrability issue basically means that Will can, wherever I put the Falchion, he can put everything in range with it turn one. Everything redeploys right in front of it and just jumps on it. Um, which is what he did. He got first turn. Moved everything into range of the Falchion. He literally only needed the crisis suits and long strike. All the Riptide and the commanders and all that just sat there giving it two fingers as it just burned in the corner of my board. Um, and then just jumps away. Just does that and just fucks off. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? But uh, luckily, because he had so many drones, I could see the crisis teams. So Centurions, out of pure revenge at this point, there was no <laughs> tactical reason to do it, 
shot and killed all the crisis suits, which was very satisfying. 108 shots, can confirm, even with all the Tau silly strats, does kill a unit of six crisis suits with all the drones. So that's a little bit of learning for anyone there who wants to take Devastator Centurions. They will kill crisis teams. How many points is a Devastator Centurion? Sorry to interrupt, Lewis. Uh, it is, let me just double check. So I think it's the right 70 number. with the heavy bolters, isn't it? Uh, something like that. It's um, 420 points for the unit of six, I think. 70. 70. Yeah. Yeah, 420 points for the unit of six. So someone else can do the maths on that. Uh, nice. Cool. But yeah, so they're, they're similar to Crisis teams, basically. They just don't have the ability to... Fly. Fly. Fire and fade. Move, move 18 inches and still shoot. And have then drones. Move back. Have drones. <laughs> so, have weapon variety. <laughs> weapon, yes. You are literally stuck with heavy bolters. <laughs> ignore hit penalties. Yeah. Get full rerolls to wounds. I do ignore hit penalties. Core keyword. Core keywords, yeah. Yeah, core uh, keywords. How long have we got? Because I can Still not playing with the stim injectors? Yeah, yeah. Have a bullshit character with a two up, four up, and a four up feel no pain. Yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Um, so Other than that, though, they're very. Other than that, they're both insane. Yeah. It's the five inch move of the Centurions, which is so slow. You put them in the wrong place once, so they literally can't do anything. You How many attacks do Centurions have? Am I right in thinking it's four on the charge? They have four. The yeah, three normally, four on the charge, or if they yeah. are charged, but they have no combat weapon. Yeah, well, neither do Crisis Battle Suits, so they're fairly comparable in combat. Indeed, although Centurions do hit on threes in combat. Well... And they do have a base ballistic skill of three plus, which goes yeah. to two plus with Tall Carradon. Sure, sure, but Crisis Suits hit on a four anyway, because if you're playing them and you're a you know a sane person, you're playing them with Farsight, you'll give them plus one a hit in melee, which is where they want to be. Yeah. I mean, a pillow fight is doesn't really matter if who who hits the most with the pillow. <laughs> no, Motherfucker, but... I put bricks in my pillows. <laughs> yeah, it's it's when one person in the pillow fight has a plasma gun that can fall back and shoot. Oh uh, yeah. And when one of them or just stand there and shoot into combat. Neither of which I can do with my pillows. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, basically, obviously, game is lost at this point. I mean, the Falchion just dies immediately. I, I can I can move out and kill a crisis team, but then everything else just picks the Centurions up. Um, Tried to keep him off the primary for as long as possible, um, which was kind of vaguely successful until about turn four when I just ran out of units. Um, lost 37 to 78. One of those games, I, I could play it ten times and probably still lose them all. Um, the only thing I try next time, I think, is put the Falchion in reserve. Now, the Falchion is more than six inches wide, so it can't deploy and then do anything. So it'll have to deploy, and then wait a turn, and then do something. Am I right in thinking it could deploy on your home line and shoot? If it can deploy in an inch. Which you can't do. Oh, it has to be the full model within yeah. an inch. If you come on within an inch of your board, you can come I don't think it's wholly within, you know. I think it's just within an inch. Because otherwise, 32 mil models wouldn't be able to do anything when they came in. Which is yeah. most models in the game. Oh, so I, I, think, I, think, I think it's yeah. within an inch. No. I mean, this is completely pointless speculating because the rules are going to change in, <laughs> in less than a month, in two months. Um, but there, I there think... is there is a specific rule for units that are bigger than six inches. Yeah, um, it, it's it a might... separate rule. Units that are too big to be deployed within six oh. inches have to follow this rule. So I don't know whether that's overridden by the deploying your own thing. W weirdly, I've board. I've never checked when I myself. <laughs> it's not come up previously. Um, no, no, funny that. So on reflection, if I could have done that, then definitely I would have done that because that's what I do with the valiants and things in, with knights now. Everything's just all shooty. So. Um, but then, because I think what that would have done is encouraged him to spread all his stuff out, because basically everything mm -hmm. was in a big death ball. So, if the Centurions could have picked off a unit and then not got shot in return, or at least only got shot by one thing in return, I might have had a chance to pick up a second unit, which means that when the Falchion comes on, it doesn't then get killed immediately, and then it can shoot, and at which point I've potentially killed three of the big units, 
and I'm outscoring him because he has no obsec or any ability to take objectives beyond kill everything. And then I think I may I might have a chance in that matchup. Um, but I'm we're clutching at straws at that point, I think. But anyway, very good player. He, he plays for WTC team for a reason. Like there's players, great players only play for those teams, don't they? So, but yes. So overall, four and two Imperial Fists, just shy of a seventy percent win rate. John Scribble still plays for Wales, right? <laughs> I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Not not related to this conversation. I'm just as checking. If, as if you've just done him like that. No, he is the chat. It just came into my head. It just came into my head. Totally unrelated. What are you trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to check if he's still watching. <laughs> so get that. Get those engagement numbers up. <laughs> also, don't say that it won't matter in two months' time, Ed. I'm still holding out that they'll keep ninth going. Why would you hold out your career? I like ninth, ninth absolute dog shit, and it's never <laughs> going to get better in ninth. Just have a reset. Have a new set of rules. Fair. The best that can happen for nids. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah. Lovely. Well, a really, a really successful event there, and yes. uh, it's it's great to see, especially when you put so much effort and time uh, and travel time to to get there. Obviously, it's not exactly just down the road. Obviously, I'm quite well situated here in Nottingham. I can get to most events by train less yep. than two or three hours. Gibraltar a little bit further. So Just I think you wanted to talk about traveling and events. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, well, actually, does, does anyone want to hear the Falchion kill tally? Oh, yeah, it'd be rude not to. 100%. Okay. Right, here we go. Settle in. So obviously the town, town matchup, we didn't kill anything. I haven't actually pointed it all up. Uh... So uh, I can tell you what it killed. Someone else can work out the points. So, it killed six Scarab Occult Terminators, five Rubik Marines, four Chaos Spawn, six Necron Destroyers, two Doom Scythes, six Wraiths, six Scarabs, two Nemesis Dread Knights, five Interceptors, one Dread Knight Grandmaster, one Apothecary, my own, one uh, eight Blake Guard, nine Sanguinary Guard, nine Assault Marines, one Space Marine Captain, ten Intercessors, one Redemptor Dreadnought, two Lehman Russ Executioners, one Lehman Russ Tank Commander, one Rogal Dawn Tank, five Rough Riders, and thirty Cajun Shock Troops. Pretty strong. Couple of bits and pieces. Not bad. Probably, yes. I, think I love how at the end there, the last model was guard. <laughs> and we, we've already talked about it, but it's just funny to hear no town models mentioned. Yeah. No town models were slain by the Falchion this day. No, <laughs> no fish people. Yeah. Should have deployed it on the line in case he got close enough to uh, then die to the explosion. Yeah. <laughs> added a drone in. Yeah. <laughs> One, one, one marker drone. <laughs> oh, well, awesome, awesome performance, Lewis. Really, really strong. Super happy with that. Absolutely over the moon. Brilliant. 18th place as well. That's not even bad. Didn't you say it was hey. a, an 18 man tournament? <laughs> <laughs> you Hang on. You, you won 18. four games and lost 18. two. Yeah. You lost four games and you won four games, lost two, and you were 18. Yeah. My score was pretty. So I was right at the bottom of the four and twos because my score was pretty uh. poor. Because you're playing a faction with no secondary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally starting each game going, I guess I could probably get six on banners. Oh, I could probably get five <laughs> on Codex Warfare. This would be quite good. That's <laughs> the, that's the Tau experience for the third secondary. But when that secondary one through three... Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, I was quite fortunate to be paired into Grey Knights and Thousand Suns because they give up more the Witch and no prisoners. True. So that they do true. allow me to score points. And Guard, obviously, gives up bringing it down and things like that. So... 
a few guard is quite a favourable matchup if I do, if the Falchion stays alive um, mm. because I can actually rack some points up because if I'd have got my normal score against guard I wouldn't have beaten him even though it went really well for me so true um, I am entirely dependent on my opponent being nice and bringing an army that gives up points <laughs> but there we are lovely stuff so um, lead us off on travelling for 40k yes so I thought I'd give you some of my musings on travelling for 40k so this would be like a little fireside episode where we just muse on on the fun things of 40k travelling outside of your home country um, have any of you gents on this call travelled abroad for 40k no, but I'm no. taking notes because me and Aaron are going to a GT in Barcelona at the start of July. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that'd be excellent. So I am definitely yeah. taking notes. That'll be, uh, that'll be 10th edition when the Spanish people don't know the rules and you're going to be having to try and do the oh, God. in <laughs> Spanish. No, no, no. You, you can't do that because the, the rules change from 9th. Okay. <laughs> 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 that is funnily enough that is a point I was going to come on to as part of this <laughs> yeah um, I think obviously if you are travelling abroad with 40k or any hobby it, it does give you a little bit more to think about it's a little bit more stressful um, you can't just kind of rock up and, and play you have to think about it a little bit more um, this weekend this weekend just gone that was my fourth abroad trip for 40k so I'm starting to get the hang of it starting to kind of understand how it works and what you can and can't do um, so I thought I'd start on the boring end and then get more exciting I was going to start with some logistics so get your notepad ready Davey um, because this is going to be the good stuff obviously everybody's used when you're going to events in the UK or whatever country you're in you're used to just chucking everything in the back of the car rocking up the venue and you're there you just crack on from there obviously when you're going abroad you're probably getting on an aeroplane which is a funny thing Ed you might not have heard of it but it has wings and it tends to go up in the sky and then land somewhere else you weren't expecting. Well, actually, no, you normally expect. You weren't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> we were worried on the journey home because there was the French um, air traffic control strikes. So we, we did. We were worried on the way home because there was the French. Because the French, you never know what they're going to do. <laughs> but obviously that means you need to pack your army for a long trip as well as all your overnight stuff and all the other bits and bobs. So what I'd say, Dave, you're right off the bat, even if you think you've got a tough army, do not put your army in the hold of the plane. Take it in your carry-on luggage. Step one. I don't know if you've ever seen the baggage handlers at Heathrow Airport put bags onto a plane. I say the word put. It's more throw, chuck, drop, kick, beat. Um, usually is what happens to the bags. So if your models are in there, I don't care how much bubble wrap you've put around them, they're getting smashed up. A very good example of that is one of the first no retreat events I went to back in Gibraltar. Someone had put their Drukhari army in the hold under the plane, um, and unfortunately, it it turned up. And this, I think this was might have been the year before I went actually, um, but it turned up basically in such a state of deconstruction that it effectively was back on the sprue. <laughs> um, so, it uh, <coughs> the poor bloke, lovely army because if for those of you who don't know, no retreat is a is a, a, a tournament you can only get into if you paint to a certain level and you have to get selected and all that sort of stuff so it's quite an intense process to get in um, so absolutely devastating for that individual to have his army basically completely destroyed it wasn't even recognisable as a 40k army um, no amount of packaging or protection is going to save that so um, just he had to borrow an army from no, from SM Battle Reports for the weekend so uh, yeah just make sure you take your hold luggage you don't take it on your hold luggage um, 
you might find as well, like airline crew, there was a couple in, in Gibraltar on the way home this time where uh, crew, as we were getting on the plane or just before we were going to go through the um, check-in point, asking people because they wanted to save space in the overhead lockers, can we take your bag and put it underneath? It's like, no, hold on to it, hug it, whatever you need to do, tell them it's worth £25,000 or something, whatever it takes to keep that bag in the overhead locker and not underneath the plane. So that's my first tip. Um, and also, actually, while we're talking about aeroplanes and aeroplane security, don't do what I did the other year and leave all your hobby tools in with your army. <laughs> at the airport. Heathrow, don't like knives, really. If you intend to bring a knife, they're, they're exactly that. <laughs> That's their image. Um, so uh, when a big hobby knife flashes up on the uh, on the scanner and you get strip searched, you're going to regret it. Um, the man's hands were very cold. That's all I'd say. Lewis, is your is your army magnetised? It is not, no. It's not. Would you think they have a problem with magnetised stuff on planes? Um, I guess I... you just put it through the scanner. You say this has metal in it. Go through. Yeah, so magnet, I mean, no, is a magnet more problematic or not? I don't, don't know. think. No, not usually. Not as far as I'm aware. People have brought magnetised armies and not had a problem. As the magnet is so small. I don't think it would cause any issues. Sometimes, at least one occasion, I've been asked to get the army out on the little table next to it because. I thought it might happen with the falchion because it just looks like a remote control car or something like that if you put it in a scanner. But it's all resin, so I guess it doesn't really show up very well. But, um, yeah, you might be asked to take your army out and tell people what it is, I guess, if it's got loads of metal in it. <laughs> right, metal <laughs> to which you go, oh, I didn't realise you played. So this is my uh, my 1750 point. <laughs> <laughs> <So> I'm running. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And their eyes glaze over and they go, just go for it. <laughs> There's a, there's a, so there's a guy in the team, uh, for those who don't know, called Rob Campion, who is, uh, he hates people, like, he's, like I shouldn't I should, should say this, but he hates people knowing that he plays 40k. Like, he's still, you know, he's, he's, he's in the closet still, I suppose you could argue. And, um, and uh, it takes him a lot of effort to tell someone. It takes him a lot of effort. My dream is for him to go through security and then have to get out in front of everyone and, and show, him, show each model. <laughs> oh, the tingles it would give me. I'd record it. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting me. Poor guy. No, 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 you're right. It's, uh, it's, um, and that is a whole different thing. There's a whole other topic there, Chris, dear leader, about being in the closet. Because I definitely well, turned sort of well, 80, so. 90. Yeah. I've kind yeah. of got to the point now where I don't care anymore what people think of me. So, um, my, I should tell um, I lowered myself to six months. My colleagues so, at work know so. because I go straight from work to events. And. It's weird how accepting people are of the hobby now. It's, and people ask genuine questions. They're like, oh, that's really cool. It's like, you don't think that. Because <laughs> I was playing, well, how old am I now? 29. So I was playing 21 years ago. And I remember being met with derision yeah. and mockery. And that was the comfort space. It's like, oh, yes, now I'm playing Warhammer. You're going to think that I'm a dickhead. And I don't care because yeah. I like doing it. Um, so when people who aren't in the space are like, oh, that's really interesting, tell me more. I'm like, why? Why are you being polite? I don't <laughs> trust this. It's, uh, no, definitely. My, um, since I joined the Environment Agency, my uh, my work team have been following it. They uh, they wanted updates and all the painting and stuff like that. So I've been sending them photos and models into the work WhatsApp group. It's been great. It's been so nice to have, have not that I've, that I've experienced much grief before in my previous job, but in this current job, yeah, it's been really lovely. They've been like asking for all the model photos and asking how I'm getting on and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's been really nice. I think generally, as you say, it's a lot more accepting nowadays people are. Which is the brilliant. man cannot be stopped. He will do anything to sell his Saffron event tickets. <laughs> even, 
even converting his workmates into gamers. I've got to fund those 79 actors somehow, Eds. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, so whilst we're still on logistics, um, I thought it would be sensible to talk about money. A lot of people don't like talking about money, um, but I think everyone does need to be aware. Uh, we're all aware 40k is not a cheap hobby in the best of times, anyway. And one of the few ways you can make it even more expensive is to throw international flights and hotels into the mix, because that generally just adds more and more on. Um, and so not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to do it um, to find the money to be able to do that travelling like that isn't for everyone um, so I would say all this stuff we're chatting about and how much fun I had and all that sort of stuff try not, uh, I don't want anyone to feel any pressure that they have to go and travel abroad and, and do their 40k in the way that I'm doing it um, everyone has to work within their means don't they and prioritise the hobby spending in a way that gives, gives you the most joy um, and there's really amazing events in the UK all the time. Like Saffron Slab. <laughs> Saffron Slab. <laughs> He's enough to plug it. We're, there's, there's a wait list. They're, they've already sold all the tickets. Yes, we've sold all the tickets. I've almost almost sold the bloody August ones as well. It's been great. I've not even posted about that one and people are buying them, which is great. So you can have just as much fun in the UK and I'm trying to create No Retreat and, and um, Gibraltar GT in the UK anyway. So you won't even miss out by being at home. You get the same experience here. So um, don't feel any pressure, um, please. Uh, I don't want anyone to feel like that. Come away from this. So buy your tickets now. It's almost sold out. <laughs> but that being said, there are definitely some ways to reduce cost of travelling. Um, so Chris, Julian and I, we took stupidly early flights out of the UK, meaning we had to leave for Heathrow at three in the morning. Um, but those flights were hundreds of pounds, £150, £200 cheaper than flying at a more reasonable hour. Um, we stayed in an Airbnb rather than a hotel. Love Airbnb. Technically only two bedrooms, but the living room had enough space to hold a third mattress, so we could get three of us in a two-bedroom Airbnb, um, which meant that our accommodation was like 40 quid a night each instead of 80 to £100 pound a night for a hotel. Um, so best part of 300 quid saved for each of us there. Um, and being in the Airbnb also meant that we could cook most nights, so I subjected Chris and Julian to my cooking for three or four out of the five nights we were there, um, which gave them food poisoning, but they saved about... 150 quid on food bills and alcohol bills from restaurants. Um, so overall, we were able to save probably the best part of 500 quid compared to what we would have spent on the on the trip. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm not liking this Lewis character. He's bragging about being able to afford to travel, and he has friends. <laughs> <laughs> Disgraceful behaviour. Like, what do you think this is? Like some sort of you know place for people to meet. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't cheap still, but it could have been a lot worse. And there are ways to try and make it a bit cheaper. And actually, clear conversation with your mates up front about what you're trying to expect out of the week. All three of us, Chris is going through buying a house. Julian's doing loads of work on his house at the moment. I've just changed to a job to try and make Saffron Slam work a little bit more as a as a as an actual venture so none of us have a lot of money at the moment so we all agreed that we would try and do the do the trip for as a reasonable price as possible and i think if you all go in on the same page and you'll go on with the same expectations of how you're going to be spending your money i think you can all come out of it good friends still despite the fact that you didn't spend as much money as some other people who went to five-star restaurants every night um so assuming you've made it to your destination survive the cavity search for having your uh, hobby knife in your uh, in your bag um, it's time to have a good time, I think. Um, and in my opinion, I think, and, and this is, seems pretty obvious, but one of the joys of travelling for 40k is that you get to go and see places that you've never seen before, do other things that aren't 40k related as part of your 40k trip. Um, in, 
there's no chance I'd ever have gone to Gibraltar. No offence to Gibraltar, but I never would have gone had it not been for 40k. Would never have seen it. And now, actually, I'm fortunate enough to have some friends for life in Gibraltar. So that's an experience that is, I'm never going to forget. I'm never going to take those. Those friendships are never going to leave me. So um, really, I think if you are travelling and you can do it, spend some time before or after the event in the location that you're, tra- you're travelling to so you can try and experience it. In, in the case of Gibraltar, I took Chris and Julian up into the nature reserve on top of the rock. We saw the macaques, we went into the caves, and there was a cave that had the big stalactite angel thing in it, it looked like an angel, so uh, Julian's a sister's player, so he was able to pray to the angel of St Michael's Cave for sixes on his miracle dice, which uh, unfortunately didn't work out because he just rolled nothing but ones for his miracle dice for the rest of the uh, rest of the weekend. Went on the big suspension bridge, we saw old military gun emplacements, went on the cable car, did a whiskey tasting thing, a distillery, all sorts. So met up with some friends, my friends from The Rock, and who took us around, went to pubs and all that sort of stuff. So all that sort of time that you spend with your best mates that you'll never forget is is one of the joys of travelling. Just just the three of us went around, saw all these things, and actually some memories there that I don't think we'll ever, none of us will ever forget. Uh, if Chris or Julian are still on the chat, they'll probably give me some grief in about three seconds' time for me getting all soppy. Um, but yeah, so uh, onto the games themselves, and this I think comes back to your point, Davey, about... Um, playing with people from different countries that's a really really positive thing you get to meet people from all over the world like-minded people as well people that just love 40k um people from spain germany the states i've met an olympic rower at a 40k event abroad um and you're all there for the same reason you all love playing your toy soldiers and that genuinely creates a really great atmosphere because you've got all these people coming in from different parts of the world with different cultures different experiences all getting together to play 40k so it just creates an atmosphere that I don't necessarily think you get in the UK just from people that come to an event every single weekend. Um, but it does obviously create situations where you need to be careful. So there's cultural differences that you need to be aware of between different people. And I think, I don't know which what language the Barcelona GT is being held in, Davey. All the ones I've been to, they've stipulated in the event pack that all the languages can be English during the game. Oh, that's interesting. I've done, no, I'm pretty sure it's uh, in Spanish or Catalan. But... So... You've got a language barrier there. Um, when events... No tango, on, no tango on barrier, mate. Well, you're fine then. Crap, I can't. <laughs> what have you just said? I hope you were being nice to me. <laughs> no, Aaron does. That's, that's the one we have to overcome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's something to check out if you are doing an international event, what language they're expecting you to speak at the table. Because I know in Gibraltar they do enforce it because it's not fair if someone doesn't speak the language and you're chatting to a mate. It doesn't doesn't create the right experience does it so um but it means that, that you'd be playing people whose english isn't their first language if it is a, an english language event so sometimes you have to work a bit harder to make sure you both understand each other um understand what your army does understand what their army does and it, it gives more option opportunities for confusion to occur during the game about what you're planning on doing who's moving where what abilities are being used all that sort of stuff but ultimately again i think because of the atmosphere that's created by all these different people getting together as long as you all have the right attitude, you get through it, you work it out. Um, and it, Jose, my first opponent from the Gibraltar GT, Spanish guy, brilliant. The level of energy that he brought to the whole thing was just incredible. I think if I could bottle even half of his energy and his positivity, I'd be a much happier man than I am, um, despite Ed's best efforts to treat me otherwise. Oh, how dare you? This is why <laughs> I treat got... you with the contempt you deserve. It's for, it's for... <laughs> 
thing. <laughs> You've had one evening in the seat, and your uh, your power's going to your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then a final point, which I think might be a uh, might be a more general point, and actually I'd be interested to get all of your opinions. Do you guys tend to drink alcohol when you're playing your games at 40k events? No, never. You don't. Ed. I don't. No. Exclusively alcohol. <laughs> no, not always, but it depends. I tend to the more games I lose, the more pints I drink. Is is my game? Fair enough. <laughs> um, now this is coming from me as a very boring person; doesn't really drink much. Um, but I think it's really, really important if you are travelling abroad and you are spending a lot of money to go to an event that you and your opponent are both aware of what's going on. Um, and you don't let the excitement of being abroad, playing games with people you've never met in different languages and all sorts, without with your mates, and get let get to you. Um, I think the last thing, the absolute last thing I would want as a player, is my opponent to be faced with someone across the table who's pissed, turns up late, really hungover, feeling pretty sick. If I've spent a lot of money to go and fly abroad to play a game of 40k, I really want my opponent to be a part of that. Um, and it's something that the SM Battle Reports guys were actually quite hot on at the start of the event because they've had a couple of experiences in the past where people have just got so drunk they weren't capable of playing a game properly, which does kind of ruin it for your opponent. It's a really hard balance because you want to go and have a really good time. I'm not saying you can't go and have a good time, but I think it is when you are abroad, it, you can very rapidly get out of control, um, and that just sucks the joy out of your opponent's experience. Which is for me that if I knew I was doing that to my opponent, I'd be absolutely devastated. I'd just feel absolutely. guilty. Um, but just keep in mind that that's what you're there for. You're there to play games, and and you want to try and give your opponent a decent experience. Um, and if I think ultimately, if you're abroad, you're on holiday, and you want to go properly mad, do it after the event, or do it a few days before. Go go to the casinos. Gibraltar's got great casinos. Um, I'm not a gambler, but that was brilliant fun. Just just the evening we spent in there, um, soak the atmosphere in, all that sort of stuff. Um, probably me being a bit of a spoiled sport but i think that's quite important uh, no i think it's a totally fair point mate like it's it's like anything else uh if you, if you take alcohol away from it even things such as being late just being rude just being you know you want to, you want to make sure that every game of 40k you have you have a great time your opponent has a great time and i think that uh, it's it's all a part of it um but it's a it's a it's a great show yeah what if what if you um uh, play terribly regardless of whether you're pissed or not. <laughs> Asking for a friend. I think there's no hope for you. Oh, God damn it. I'm going to have to learn how to lose in Spanish now. Your friend's going to have to learn how to lose in Spanish. You mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, my friend. Sorry, my friend's going to have to learn how to lose in Spanish. Good save, Ed. No one noticed. Nobody noticed. Yeah. Obviously, I, I mean, there's obviously no issue with people drinking at events, but mm. it's when, you know, maybe you get a little too trolleyed sick but, on uh, the table I mean I say bring it on um, I, <laughs> give me give me an easy round five easy round six sound at that that point I'll take a free game I'm happy <laughs> but yeah so that's my thoughts that's my thoughts on travelling um, oh, I love that I don't know if that was vaguely useful yeah no, that was really good 100% 100% lovely stuff well well thank you Lewis um, despite I, I'm not sure if I'm more filled with admiration that you went four and two with a falchion, or the rage that you took a falchion to an event and it did well. Um, <laughs> it's because, you were so adamant I was going to fail miserably. Well, <laughs> see, this here's the thing: this is not a results-based analysis household. We 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 look at things 
and call them bad because they're bad, not because they had good results. So it hurts me deeply to see something I consider to be bad do well. Um, but no, congratulations. It's obviously a huge uh, achievement to go four and two with Imperial Fists. I did say before we actually went live, that's like winning an event for Imperial Fists. That's more games than all of the other Imperial Fists players will win in Arcs of Omen. Um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see when we come back to the pin the win rate on the faction, whether you've skewed Imperial Fists up to the yes. top of the uh, the list. You might have to fit another event in there. Did I say 43%? I can't remember. I think I said 43% for Imperial Maybe, yeah. You may have pulled it up from the, the lows of the 30s, the low 30s, to something that Davey might be right with, which would also be upsetting to me. You, if it makes you feel better, Dave, there was another Imperial Fist player there, and he went they to... They did Imperial. shit. So, okay. we're now 50-50. Out of Gibraltar, with the Imperial Fist are on an average 50% win rate. So, as far as games worship are concerned, Imperial Fist are perfectly balanced. Um, but Chris, no, there's nothing wrong with winning two games, mate. Alright, really. it is. <laughs> <laughs> not shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with no, an underpowered faction. It's a really good RTT. Um, yeah. <laughs> Really? Then it's, you know, day two, but... They came right near the bottom. I remember looking at the results. And... They were the worst, because even um, bloody Crimson Fists had 1% more win rate than them. So I thought they would have a worse win rate, but uh, yeah. But yeah. Lovely stuff. So with that all wrapped up, I think it's time to have a look at some of the stuff that's uh, come in today for 10th edition. Because mm. there has been a whole lot shared. So... Well, I, I will take this opportunity to shoot, guys, as I have to leave. But yeah, have a great yeah. evening. Nice one. Lovely. Just Thanks David. for joining us, David. Love you. Bye. Fantastic. So now that the, the filthy Xenos have gone, <laughs> we can talk about our power armored gods as intended. So a couple of bits have dropped for 10th edition. Obviously, uh, faction focus on Space Marine. Space Marines came out today. And we're starting to see some of the, the rules for 10th edition. And um, some of it's pretty bonkers. So we've seen that we're moving away from maybe chapter rules. You won't have necessarily an ultramarine force in terms of your, your list building. Although there, uh, there are keywords still for ultramarine. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. But there's going to be detachment rules. The one that they previewed here is the Gladius Task Force which is something that all Space Marine players on launch will be able to play. Once the uh, the rule books come out for Dark Angels, Blood Angels and Light, perhaps we'll see them move away from that. But we see that they have their army rule is Combat Doctrines. Slightly better, I think, than the Combat Doctrines that we had Slight before. Up. Slightly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously they've been playing against Tyranids. They've seen the Synaptic Imperatives and gone, you know what, I want some of that, but more gooder. Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, really what I think these are. So across the five turns, you're only going to be able to have a buff for three of the turns. But fortunately, these buffs are incredible. So you can pick them in your command phase. You pick one of the three. You can't repeat them, but that's fine because you all of them are fantastic. You're True starting off with... Dead, so... <laughs> yeah, turn four, you don't need one. Uh, <laughs> Devastator Doctrine. This unit is eligible to shoot in a turn in which it advanced. And that's not a single unit buff. That is every unit in your army gets the doctrine. You don't Last have to be in Centurion. You don't have to be near a synapse creature to get it. You don't have to be tied to an Admech HQ with a data tether. It's just 
if you're on the board, you're a space marine, you get this rule. So what do we think of shooting and advancing army-wide? That seems... It was quite good when Tal did it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Although they they do have, you know, 8-inch advance on 10-inch move models. Mm. Yeah, I mean... From experience with the Knights, being able to advance and shoot just gives you so much more flexibility. Yeah. Obviously, it's only once in the game, so... You're not going to be able to do everything. If I could do it every single turn, I'd just have this one on permanently. It does get early lines of sight, doesn't it? And yeah. your threat ranges increase and angles of attack for turn one increase. And and for some of the slower moving units, I mean, for an advanced roll of a five for a Centurion, they would have got me movement. out of so many holes over the course of the weekend. It doubles yeah. their movement. They can just yeet somewhere, get into a piece of cover, and then still shoot. It's without sacrificing any kind of firepower. It's great. It'll be interesting to see if any rules come out to let uh, units auto-advance 6, perhaps. Or maybe bikes retain their auto-advance 6, whether that you know is something that gets utilised. Attack bikes, obviously, can rock a multi-melter, get some damage really far up the board. Ravenwing obviously doing that right now. So Devastator Doctrine, not too shabby. We've also got Tactical Doctrine, which is army-wide fallback shoot and charge, which is... Not bad. How many times have you been tied up and wished that you weren't yeah. in a game? It's quite a lot. I mean, it's great I think... for resilient units, isn't it? Anything that, that can take a charge but yeah. wants to be able to shoot afterwards, it can just tank it, fall back, blast away, and then carry on with the game. Yeah, this is absolutely something that changes how people play as well. It's one of those rules that it's almost better when you don't have to use it because your opponent isn't mm. going to want to charge you and tie you up. Yeah, it's not worth yeah, it's, it's you know, there's absolutely no point. It's like people don't really want to charge and tie up my Crisis Brick. You know, they still do sometimes, but it might change how they play, and then I get to zoom over and just shoot them to death, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of. <laughs> so not bad. And then the one that's just cracked out of its goddamn mind. Assault Doctrine. Why not just have an entire army adv- advance and charge? That's... Turn two. Just turn two. Turn two, Blood Angels. Off the go. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or if you're not playing a pure melee army, maybe never. Maybe turn four. Maybe turn three, you do it with two units and go, well, I feel like I got value out of this. But mm. your opponent is going to be going, so how far can you move? Well, I've got three units of van vets, and they move 12, then I can advance six, and then I can charge. So 30 inches. And they're just going <laughs> to they're gonna be sat all the way back going, yeah. oh, f- fuck. It's, uh... Yeah, I'm glad you can't repeat these. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now that I've said that, I'm sure we will see some rules. We'll see a strat, yeah. Yeah, it's a reuse the one that you used last to, or like a special character will let you do it. Yeah. Um, perhaps Gilliman, although we know it's not Gilliman, actually. Not Gilliman. Um, slight spoilers for, for Ed. So yeah, Combat Doctrines. Ooh, tease pretty... me, Ed. Tease <laughs> Tickle the ball, stroke the shaft. <laughs> and yeah, so that's, the, that's what you get for the Gladius Task Force, which is just wildly strong uh, i think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um but it's quite exciting to think because obviously these are replacing you know um ultramarine faction rules it's replacing your shield hosts yeah. or your hive fleet so having them be strong is is definitely interesting we'll see how that pans out yeah because i mean you've got to assume that you're not going to be Blood Angels are not going to be getting plus one to wound. Imperial Fist not be ignoring cover, all that sort of stuff. That that's yeah. Go. I so feel like some of that thematic stuff yeah. might be rolled into strats, 
perhaps, or we'll just see how, how it pans out. It feels like they're going more um, chapter agnostic for Space yes. Marines. And then when the books come out and the supplements come out, maybe yeah. we'll then see more sort of focused in on traditional playstyles. See, uh, the this um, forgive me if I'm wrong. This these doctrines you don't get those unless you take a Gladius Strike Force. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So if so you take a Blood Angel specific one, you won't get access to this. So suddenly you, your Blood Angels will not be advancing in charge. Absolutely, it's happen. looking like you're going to be getting two army-wide rules, which is for Space Marines. The first one, Oath of Moment, every turn pick a unit you get full rerolls to hit and wound against it which if anyone's played any games of ninth will know full rerolls to wound pretty good pretty good in an addition where they're cutting down on rerolls so glad we've got that coming from the most popular army in the game he said <laughs> not at all sarcastically we're cutting down on rerolls yeah apart from when we'll we're see. not cutting down on rerolls yeah <laughs> you know what we'll we'll see how everything shapes up maybe space marines are going to be super expensive and you know they can absolutely destroy a single unit really effectively, but kind of limp fish into other things. Um, a man can dream, because I don't really want to play Space Marines, or play against Space Marines if they're rerolling everything, but we'll go from doesn't there. doesn't bode well for knights, that's for sure. No, no it doesn't, but uh, that's something you're just going to have to live with. You can bring the falchion <laughs> instead and be happy. <laughs> so, speaking of big targets that you might want to put all your rerolls into, we've finally seen the data sheet for the Land Raider. The classic Everyone's one. been waiting. So. Everyone has been waiting. The thing I was waiting for was the toughness, because for me, that was going to be sort of the benchmark for the oh, tough sorry. models in the game. Yeah. So toughness 12, stat-line-wise, stat that's really the big change that we're seeing here. It's still got the same movement, still got the same save, same number of wounds. Leadership is comparable. Obviously, the whole leadership system's uh, been revamped. Objective Control 5 is something that I'm very pleased to mm. see. I'm a big fan of my tanks and my monsters, more of those, if you can plonk that on an objective, and uh, it's such a big model that your opponent might not be able to fit five models on there to take it from you, so I'm quite a fan of Especially that. Especially because you're not allowed to um, be on, Stand the, on the, middle. the objective. Right? Yeah, that was something that we saw from Warhammer Fest, which is... Do we think that's an actual rule? I think that's going to be rather annoying to play. If, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think bring, bring vehicles. I think it's going to be fine for everyone apart from vehicles, isn't it? Because I believe the rule that, as it was played at Warhammer Fest is the central objective marker, the 40mm marker, you cannot finish a move on. It doesn't obscure movement. You can move over it, but you can't finish your move in there. That's fine if you're playing infantry. It's not so fine if you're bringing knights or any vehicles. If the, if the terrain, depending on how dense the terrain is, you're already having issues with moving knights and vehicles around some some layouts yeah and then if they continue with the same thing where you're not supposed to be able to put objectives in terrain and then the knights can't then finish on the center of an objective but also can't fit through the gaps you, you're really really restricting the use of these things so mm. I'm, what i really hope is that they just had really cool markers that they wouldn't let people finish on top of the markers because they just had cool markers not that that was an actual rule that would then apply for the whole game uh, yeah. that's what i hope anyway but it is interesting the toughness point that you made ed is, is really interesting because Land Raiders, obviously the, the Imperial Land Raider used to be toughness 8. Last Cannons used to be strength 9, meaning Last Cannons are wounding Land Raiders on 3s. Mm -hmm. Now, Last Cannons have also gone up in strength, they've only gone up to strength 12, which meaning assuming the wound roll system is the same, Last Cannons are now wounding Land Raiders on 4s instead of 3s. So you've got a whole Absolutely. pip of efficiency lost on the Last Cannon there. 
Yeah, although they are now up to D6 plus 1 damage, which is very interesting. It feels like a good place to have an anti-tank weapon without being oppressive. It's, uh, it's a nice amount yeah. of damage. I don't feel too bad about that. Uh, on there is thingy, but... yeah, yeah, but you'll you'll splat a marine if you shoot into it. Yep. That is the biggest feel bad of a D6 damage weapon, <laughs> yeah. not killing a single two wound model. Um, other interesting things on there, we're seeing that the multi melter down to 18 inch range from 24 inches uh, could be a an interesting. Maybe all melter is just that little bit shorter range, perhaps. And only strength nine as well. Strength nine, yeah. Obviously, strength nine would be not too shabby it if has it was kept strength its nine now. It has, yeah. So that it looks like multi melters might fit a niche in killing terminators, yeah. which is, uh, you know, perhaps we'll see those. Even if they, the rules and the points don't line up, they have fantastic models. So maybe we'll expect to see those a lot in the first yeah. couple of months of the edition. It, make, it makes you make an interesting choice as well between. Obviously, the choice in this situation isn't between the last cannon and the multi melter, but if your choice was on a Devastator squad or whatever. You've got to choose between strength and AP. Mm. So if you if you're picking your multi melter, you're going to be wounding land raiders on fives. Yeah, which is not great. But it, it would be a real problem if you had a, a faction trait that gave you full rerolls to hit and wound. Do you know what, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's fine. We'll we'll leave that. We'll not get to doom and gloom. Uh, there's a couple of bits on there that are interesting. The twin heavy bolter has sustained hits one, so everyone gets to be imperial fists. Which is, I think, the most one of the most fun things you can do when rolling dice is have Fadorn. have more dice. Exploding sixes is like Chris. You you played Necrons and Eighth Tesla Immortals. Tesla. It's it's a hell of a drug. It's hard to, to put <laughs> down. Um, so 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 any exploding sixes, I'm here for it. I'm absolutely happy. Well, to I love see my scorpion, striking scorpions. All those exploding sixes. Well, they don't really get to use their exploding sixes because the sergeant kills whatever he touches well, is, with no, his auto true. wound. <laughs> but if you run a second unit, that would be that would be pretty neat. Why still there? However, we've we've bullshitted enough. There's there's a melee profile that hits on fours. Cool, whatever. I thought what most was importantly, interesting, Ed, is that the hunter killer missile hits on twos. I do like that. We saw that change on uh, one of the other transports. It might have been on the Rhino that they showed previously. But what it's a really it good... Yeah, it's, it's a lovely change. You know, you've got a one-shot missile. Rolling a two on that feels terrible. Rolling a one on a missile. It's a rocket. Well, yes, yeah. Gotta, Take the orc, the orc way of doing things and call it a rocket. With call a it a hentile. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that's enough about the weapons because as teased, assault ramp. You can move your land raider up you can disembark your Black Templar-painted Terminators with Thunderhammer and Storm Shields. You can maybe move them afterwards. We don't know yet. I don't think it's been revealed. But you can absolutely charge. And that is that takes me back to when I was so bad at the game that Terminators and a Land Raider were just an unbeatable threat for me. <laughs> and, uh, and I think back on those days fondly. <laughs> Being eight and going, oh no! Um, and having a rough grasp on the rules. It was good times. What are we thinking? Do you think that might be the thing that brings Land Raiders into the uh, the competitive play? Don't they Once already allowing... have an assault ramp? No. They lost the rule, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they have it on the model. Yeah, it's always been on the model. Uh, but I think, I think it's interesting because it, it seems to refer that you and that this might have been touched on in early reveals, that you're going to be able to get out of vehicles after they've moved. Yes, yeah. so you can get out of vehicles after they've moved and, and you can shoot. shoot. 
but you can't charge, which right. I think is a really a really fun idea. It makes transports feel more useful. You can disembark guard, uh, guardsmen with you know flamers or whatever, yeah. uh, multi multi guns, and that's going to feel worth doing. Mm. Maybe less so because all vehicles have you know firing ports by the looks of things, or a lot of them do anyway. A lot of the transports, but um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Assault ramps gonna be a lot of wolfen coming for you from ah the space wolves are gonna love it aren't they yeah and they definitely do want to get up close and personal so i'm looking forward to that and by that i mean not looking forward to that at all because it'll be an absolute <laughs> bring it down somehow sledgehammer Stop. yeah pile all those land raiders guys you've heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> right i i went into my local games workshop and they were out of land raiders apart from the, the new 30k one he said that um I can't remember what it was. It was a couple of weeks ago. He said some, they'd revealed some rules or talked about assault ramps maybe for the first time in the Warcom article. And people had just come in and bought all of the, the Land Raiders, <laughs> which is wild to me. But uh, I am they looking look forward to I seeing them. I love people. The They're just... <laughs> um, I also really like the, the damaged rule. The, you know, the new, it's instead of bracketing, you just minus one to hit. That's uh, great. Assuming, and I don't know if this is true, but if they keep the same, you're capped at minus one to hit. You won't be able to, you know, bring a land raider down to hitting on worse than fours with its main guns, which is going to go a long way to making your expensive model feel worthwhile to run. So I think we've done that one to death. Uh, there is a model here who is almost as big as a land raider. Oh, here he is. Here he is. And it's our first Primark data sheet. I say that as if we've seen a load of data sheets. <laughs> it's our seventh data sheet, the first of which is a Primark, and he's very a poor imitation of Dawn. If by a poor imitation you mean alive and useful, then <laughs> very Dawn poor alive. indeed. He's too busy fighting demons. He'll be back, don't you worry. Excellent. Gulliman continues to make a mess of trying to save the galaxy. Dawn will come and clear up after him, as he always has to do, mm. even with only one hand. Well, as soon as we have a Rogal Dawn data sheet, I'll happily go over that with you. But uh... <laughs> so Gilliman is most importantly, I think I've we've noticed is still still a monster. Um, we're not the infantry that we thought he might be potentially walking through walls. So that's going to be interesting. Obviously, not going to be joining squads. He does have a rule on there that if he's within range of Adeptus Astartes infantry, he has the lone operative, which I believe is, they've spelled out basically, look out, sir, but modernized. He is an absolute beast. T9, he's as tough as a rhino. He's two up save still, 10 wounds up from nine. He's got a five up leadership, which is not that high, I thought, because it's roll 2d6 and you've got to roll above. That means that Gilliman's going to be failing a battle shock test, something like, one in nine times, maybe a little higher. One in six. I, I can't do the maths off the it's top a of my head. Tactical withdrawal, Ed. Yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> of course, that that's he does have a rule on his data sheet that can mitigate that, so maybe it's not a problem. And uh, objective control of four. It'll be interesting to see if big characters do get more objective control. Um, whether we end up moving back towards a bit of hero hammer, but uh, yeah, weapons wise, handed dominion. It's a strength six, AP two, two damage, storm bolter. It's not bad. Can't hate it. But he also has two melee weapons. And it doesn't say on the data sheet, but I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of rule in 10th 
where you can't attack with multiple melee weapons. Well, this was something I read that um, apparently um, at the Warhammer Fest, and obviously we don't know for certain, sure. apparently at Warhammer Fest they said that if you're a monster, you can fight with all your weapon profiles because Screamer Killers were doing that or something like that. Um, which would mean, if that was true, would mean that because Gilliman's a monster, he would be... That, I think, everything. might be a little bit of... Um... But yeah, exactly. represented because Screamer Killers do only have one melee profile. So okay. hopefully, whoever said that is confused because I don't want to see Gilliman rock up and have twenty-one attacks. <laughs> that feels unreasonable. He's basically got a sweep and a strike. Yeah. The um, the strike being seven attacks, hitting on twos, strength fourteen, so wounding probably every vehicle in the game on threes at least. AP four, so cutting through almost every armor save. Damage four, because why not? And then he has a sweep as well. 14 attacks. Only strength 8. So, you know, he's wounding a rhino on 5s, but um, most, most non-vehicles in the games are going to be are going to be taking some pain. Uh, AP 3 and 2 damage. But more interestingly, you can see that he's got devastating wounds on the, the strikes, which I believe on 6s to wound turns them into 2 mortal wounds instead of a save. Ah, excellent. Which is pretty good to have an ability that uh, has 14 attacks. <laughs> It's not bad. And then lethal hits. Well, I mean, that's realistically going to be two. No, so it's not. Four more wounds, won't he? If I play him, it'll be two. My opponent, <laughs> you know, it's Twelve. one of those that a little spike and you, you go. Be three okay. and sixes at the moment, right? Something. It's uh, yeah, perhaps does, yeah. yeah, but you don't take him for his, his damage output. He doesn't have fourteen just... attacks at the moment, though, does he? <laughs> that is true. That is not. true. Uh, interestingly, on the Hand of Dominion, I believe he's got sixes to hit auto wound. I think that was what lethal hits was from memory. But enough about that. The real reason you'd take Gilliman is always going to be his data sheep abilities. And he has three options to choose from with the author of the codex. Author of the codex being select one of the abilities in your command phase, and until the start of your next command phase, the model has the ability. Chris Symbol says mathematically he one-shots a land raider just with the strike. That is good to know. That's, he'd, yeah, uh, he'd get four attacks through, basically, wouldn't he, out of seven? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty likely to, to happen. But, uh, yeah, so the three options he can choose from. He can have a six-inch aura of plus one to their objective control and re-roll Battleshock and Leadership tests, which is interesting because I thought Battleshock was replacing Leadership, so maybe they're using that as some other rule. There. I think Battleshock applies when you've lost half your wounds or half your models. Mm. But then I suspect leadership, will, there'll be a, a, another ability, whether it's something like Night Lords or whatever, that will make you take leadership checks, as in a stat check rather than an actual test. Feels odd to have a double up there, but you know, either way, we'll see what it is when we've got more rules. Uh, you can have Master of Battle. You know that rule where you get to reroll all hits and wounds against a single high value target? You can only do it once, Ed. Well, you see, that's the thing. If you take Gilliman, you can do it twice. Oh, uh, there is a caveat. Two nights dead. <laughs> there is a caveat. You do have to fully kill the first unit before you do it. So, you know, that sounds all fair and reasonable, but maybe you're going to shoot one of them and then you're going to charge the other one. Suddenly, you're definitely going to be getting your full rerolls in combat because you've put all your guns into the other model. So, that'll be interesting to see how it goes. I but, think we should probably have caveated this whole little section by saying that we don't have access to any of the points. So if this guy's yeah, 500 points... I, I think on there it says he's, he's 27 points. 
I, it's, uh, it's, um, off the top of my head, easily 75 into a list. It's uh, Gilliman looking nice and cheap there. Uh, yes, of course. We, we don't have the surrounding rules. We don't have the points. This is all pure speculation because that is the sort of fun thing that people do on the internet when there's no real information to go from. But then the third one as well, Supreme Strategist. Once per turn, a friendly Adeptus Astartes unit within 12 inches can use a stratagem for zero CP, even if you've used that stratagem already. Now that is going to vary. You know, how good are the stratagems? Maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. That seems like a good thing to be able to use. Um, they do tell us one of the stratagems that you get if you play the Gladius Strike Force, which is 2 CP, your, all your models are a pencher, and they just fight on death, which is... I love repenture. They're amazing. So that's, that's a really good rule to have, just in general. But if you can do it for 2 CP, and you can do it on 2... Sorry, do it for 0 CP, and you can do it on 2 units paying for them once. It's going to be really hard to deal with marines in melee. It's going to be really hard to outshoot marines because they're just going to re-roll hits and wounds. So I'm very can't interested to both, see... Though. You can only pick one of those each turn, can't you? So you no, because re-rolling hits and wounds is just a base rule they get. So they can do it on one unit and then you can also fight on death twice. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the, the play pattern emerges for that. Uh, he does also have a get back up on a 3+, plus, which is everyone's favourite rule. Um, it's a feels bad if you've got it, because you only ever roll 1s and 2s. Uh, and it's it's great if your opponent has it, and then they get back up and you lose the game because you were waiting to see what the rule they have. But yeah, any thoughts on Gilliman? He looks great. Well, I think the important thing there, as you said, is you don't know points costs. This game seems to be pushing more towards a Sigmar-esque approach. And we know Sigmar has really expensive big characters. Mm. And maybe it'll just be that he's actually just... You can't get value out of all of his buffs. Because, yeah, he can kill quite a lot of stuff in combat. And, yeah, he can provide a high amount of efficiency. But, actually, he's 400 points. And it's better just to have 400 points of other stuff that's still going to get re-rolls from particular leaders or whatever. We don't know. That is interesting. I hadn't considered that maybe the characters specifically would be going up uh, a lot in points the way Sigma have, because they have very expensive characters, don't they? I think it, it helps rein in the size of the armies, though, doesn't it, in Sigma? Uh, sure. Which is nice. And, I, and I, having just spent a weekend playing 1750, I didn't feel like I didn't have enough stuff. Like, it was what, quite nice to play a slightly smaller game and not be so stressed about it. typically happens... Unit is at the start of an edition, you play with about 1750 points worth of models yeah. from the last edition. And then by the end of the edition, the, the, the balancing levers they tweak where they go, oh, we'll make this a little bit cheaper and we'll make it a little bit cheaper. You end up with just more stuff anyway. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see and how long they manage to maintain sort of a, a smaller army if they do go that route. But yeah, so I think it is getting a little late. We can just whip through the rest of the stuff here. Redemptor Dreadnoughts, Heavy Onslaught Gatling Cannon. 12 shots, strength 6, AP 0, 1 damage, 6 is to wound immortal wounds. Just a nice profile for killing gaunts. Can't hate it. Exactly what it says on the tin. Exactly what it says on the tin. It's almost like there's going to be a starter set with 20 gaunts in it. <laughs> Heavy laser destroyer, not a bad gun. 72 inch range, which we know from their previous articles, we're not going to a bigger table size. We're staying on this, so 72 inches is corner to corner. You can shoot anything. Two shots, hitting on threes, strength 16, AP 4, D6 plus 4 damage. 
this is an addition that's going to be lowering damage. Uh, <laughs> that is a brutal gun. I am terrified to be facing against that. Hopefully, Redemptors are back up to 300, 350 points, and you can only run one that's of them. That's what as the laser piece. destroyer is. What is the railgun, and what is the Valiant's harpoon going to do? That's well, they're not Space Marine models, so don't get too excited. <laughs> Obviously, only two shots. It only hits on threes. It's going to be wounding most vehicles on threes. That's not as reliable as you want it to be. No. But you are going to be re-rolling hits and wounds uh, with it on the target that you want it to kill. Because if you've got a high-value gun like that, you definitely want to make it uh, get its money back. That's the interesting point, though, isn't it? You've got a high-value high value gun like that, and you put all the re-rolls into it. That doesn't necessarily benefit much else of your army, does it? That's why you take Gilliman, and then you... Uh, do it again, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do it again. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, it, I think on average, was it D6 plus 4? Yeah. yeah. It's damage, so what, you're going to roll a 3.5, so if you get both of them through into a Land Raider, for example, you're going to get Close 7 plus it. 8, 15 damage, you're not going to kill it. So that, on average, does not kill a Land Raider. You're going to average just shy of 12 damage into a, a Land Raider with yeah. one gun. It's so, a lot of other guns, right? Mm, Redemptors famously are covered in other guns. Indeed. So we will we will have to see. But, but that you've was. I think, like, even the Gatling gun, it's strength six, so it's going to be wounding Land Raiders on sixes. Yeah, but it'll be doing mortal wounds on those sixes. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you will yeah. eventually find a way of getting through it, won't you? But. Um... Yeah. Those guns are nowhere near as I'm not as they doom are and now. gloom. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll be. I'm looking forward to the 10th. I think it's going to be really exciting to relearn a game and, and find yeah. out how the, the play pattern goes. Anything else we want to say about 10th edition, or should we wrap up with a couple of viewer questions and call it a night? Um, I think it's getting on, so yeah, just a couple of questions. Lovely stuff. So, in the podcast questions, and do chuck questions in the chat, we might answer them if we have time. Uh, and if you're not, we probably should have led with that. <laughs> no, 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 because it's getting late, so I don't want to give people a chance to. I want to look like I'm giving them options. Looking like uh, you shit. Magnanimous and yet, you know, still a tyrant. So, looking in the podcast questions, there was a lot of talk about hydration. Obviously, hydration is important, uh, and drinking as well. Um, there are someone saying that the right decision might be not drinking at solo events but drinking more at team events um as my team captain can you weigh in on that one for me chris i would absolutely endorse other teams choosing to drink <laughs> lots of alcohol excellent i feel like that was a very strong choice and please do and to uh piggyback on that jack tight says whatever you do don't let the six plus plus guys convince you to come out drinking with them You'll somehow lend, end up lost in a town you've never been to before. Reference, I went out drinking with the 6++ plus plus guys and got lost in a town I've never been to before. Uh, Wasn't yeah. that town like Kettering or something like that as well? It was in Northampton, we went out, had a very interesting night. And then the next morning, Jack rocks up and it turns out that Jack had gone to um, get the taxi and mm. then Tony died. Um, so he was just lost in the middle of the town at like 4am, 5am, wandering the streets of Northampton and somehow managed to make it back at like 5 or 6. Um, so uh, those, were, those were the glory days, Galmaris. We haven't been out in ages, but uh, yeah, it was... Glory uh, days. And then uh, he, still went, he still went 5-0 and 0 for us at that weekend. <laughs> I'm too old to... Uh 
to be twenty nine. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm a grumpy old man at heart. Um, when I was I went to God, which event was it? I think it was the Newcastle GT, or it was at some other event um, with my my last team, and we shared an Airbnb, and they all went out drinking. I was like, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I'm just going to go home. I'm going to look at my matchup for tomorrow. I'm going to get some sleep. And uh, I was sleeping downstairs. And then I woke up at about five in the morning as they all rocked in. <laughs> Keep in mind, this is a UKTC event. You've got to be at the venue and playing your game at 9.30. So I don't know if you can do any maths. That is four and a half hours to get in, get to bed, get up, have some sleep and some food, get to the venue. Um, yeah, everyone looked fucking rough, and I felt very smug. It's, Our best uh, was six, I think. I think we got in at about six one time. Yeah, that's. And sounds... I set my alarm for half seven. Um, uh, good times. No, no, thank you. Horrendous, horrendous. So I, I literally like... couldn't wake up. That I would literally just not even be physically able to wake up. I was still really drunk when I woke up. Yeah, for me, the lack of sleep is uh, is a killer. I don't get hangry, but if I'm tired, then I'm, I have none of your bullshit. Because <laughs> uh... you're normally so easy going and placid. So... I control the chat! How dare you speak to me in such a manner! Anyway, actual podquest, podquest question from Gelmaris, who's shit-talking me in the chat. <laughs> got my fucking eyes on you um, he says what's your biggest regret of ninth edition army you didn't take army you did event you missed etc etc which uh, anyone want to weigh in on that one not going 5-0 and at the LGT with my valiance and therefore losing the first place spot in the UKTC to Jay and his knights yeah because he did go 5-0 and he went 5-0 and so, yeah, he didn't bring Valiance, which might be what did it. Yes, but it would have been incredibly satisfying to shove two Valiants in his face and say, "I told you I could do it." <laughs> but it's uh, he's a great player, so it's fair enough. <laughs> he definitely deserved it. <laughs> I, um, I had one event. I was on started to really pick up um, with the Harlequins, and um, I was well on course for my um, second four-one in a row. And when I Spoken about before I played Jamie East and was in control of the game and made some silly mistakes and lost that game, went 3-2. And then it just went massively downhill from there. Like, right. just, it just, I hit a bad run of form and stuff. So I think like in t like that is the one event where I'm always like, you know, most of the time, I think my opponents, based on matchups and level skill of opponents and that kind of, it works out roughly where I'd have expected. That event was the one that feels like it got away. It would have scored me a load more points because I was a really high, because, you know, as you all know, Harlequin scored really highly, highly. so um, if I'd scored, if I'd gone the 4-1, I would have been like right up there near the top mm. of quite a big event um, because of the point scoring. But So yeah, that was the one that got away for me. Sure. Uh, what would mine be? I guess mine would probably be pivoting away from Tyranids to play Tau, which I enjoyed more and I think made me a better player. But I had spent uh, two or three months sitting around like seventh to ninth in the uh, ITC rankings for NIDS globally. And I was thinking, oh, I could push this. Maybe I can go up to sixth. Like you were looking at the people ahead of you. And I was like, Gaylard's up there. Uh, Innes was up there. I was like, I'm not going to catch these people. But then there were a couple of names that were above me. And I was like, I definitely feel like I can outplay these people. I can, I can get some higher scores. Um, 
but instead I played Tau for two out of the last three events of the year, dropped to like 17th or something. So I guess that would be my regret of, mm. uh, of 9th edition. Definitely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Ultimate Funk says, favourite named character in all of 40k history, and for Tom Lohman, favourite character name... Favorite... Favorite named character that isn't Drazar, so I will answer for him because I'm obviously Tom. But someone else go first because I need to get in the right headspace. <laughs> Twiddling your hair. Um, I don't know the favorite named character. Mm. Um, well, that's a tricky one. I've read the Grey Knights omnibus a lot, and I like Justica Alaric. Okay, I do not know him. The, uh... the dude, he's the main character in the um, Grey Knights book series, and they're awesome books. So okay. I'll go with him. In the similar vein, then, I, Edward, would answer Vorth <laughs> Mordrak. I had to Google his name there. He's the, <laughs> nice. uh, he's the chap who had the, the ghostly apparition of his fallen comrades. If anyone remembers, I think it was the fourth edition, or maybe the fifth edition Grey Knight Codex, where you could just have, like, undead paladins protecting a character I was just cool I really like that that's probably mine um, I'm assuming yours is going to be Rogel Dawn as tempting as it is to go Rogel Dawn um, I have I, th- well, I have very different f- characters depending on the scenario that they're in the moment where in the Siege of Terror series spoiler alert if anyone hasn't read the Siege of Terror series it's an incredible series you definitely read it um but there's a moment where a White Scar character, whose name I completely forget, has to drag himself all the way across No Man's Land, back into the Emperor's Palace with, like, kids and stuff in the middle of this, like, apocalyptic war zone. And then um, he uh, takes over... Oh, what does he take over? He takes over, like, a Death Guards-like thing or something. But there's just a moment in that book where he's this White Scar character is just, like, on top of this mountain with a White Scar flag going, fuck you. And I was like, yes, you, I want you. <laughs> but I can't remember his name, so that was useless piece of information for everybody there. Excellent, thanks. Yeah, it did say named character, not... He is uh, named <laughs> in Horus Heresy books. Just he has a name, everyone has a name. Gaunt1367 has a name. So he's my yeah. favourite. Gaunt from the uh, the Gaunt's Ghost books, I think would be a, a great honourable mention. They're the only 40k books I've read. I've never really... Caiaphas nope. Kane's um, bodyguard bloke, what's he called? The smelly one. He was just really good with his melt gun. <laughs> I just can't remember the yeah. names. My name's there. It's too late in the evening now for names. Oh, <laughs> also, any of the characters from the All Guardsmen party, if anyone's read that, it's just an online. Um, I believe it was a like a RPG campaign, Inquisitor, yeah. I think. Uh, and basically, someone has the DMs written up the stories of the All Guardsman Party in there. Jurgen, that's it. Gelmaras, brilliant. Thank you. Lovely stuff. And what would Tom's be? Tom's would be. Night Lord's character, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Morgan Ra. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at Morgan Ra because. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> uh, and Ultimate Funk says as a follow up to this, does anyone have a favourite character that doesn't have a model or rules yet that they'd love to see in 10th? Yeah, Justica Alaric, as I just said. <laughs> Fulgrim, Fulgrim. Because he probably will get a rule and models, given that we've had, you know, a demon Primarch from one of the, the four Chaos Legions that get their own books for the last three editions. So if they don't do Emperor's Children and Fulgrim this edition, 
I don't know, I'll be mildly peeved. Mildly peeved. Yeah, oh, you don't want to see me mildly peeved. <laughs> what are you now? <laughs> uh, I, I existed a constant state of simmering rage at the patriarchy. <laughs> oh, so mildly peeved is actually an improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be great. Um, lovely stuff. Tom Josh says, said... actually, it's Eldred Ulthran with yeah. Sevatar as a close second. I don't know who Sevatar is. Yeah, some Nightlord. Some Nightlord. Nightlord. Yeah. Okay, well, there we go. That was, you, you know, you said Nightlords. Cool. Uh, I think the last one we've got here is you've been recruited into the Warhammer naming team. Space Marines have all had their flavorful, flavorful detachments written up like Gladius Task Force. What do you name the others and what rules do they bring to the Army in 10th edition? So if you give me one detachment name for Space Marines. And well, that's that really easy. It, obviously, it's going to be the Castellan detachment okay. um, because that's what they've named about one third of all Warhammer things. <laughs> so obviously, we've got the Knight Castellan, we've got the Castellan robots in Admech, got Castellan launcher. It's obviously going to be a Castellan. Uh, Isn't there a Black Templar character who's a Castellan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, I think. It's got, there's got to be a Castellan task force. Sure, sure. And what think... rules would that bring for you? AP? Really <laughs> Great. Yeah, I reckon AP, extra AP. Yes. For, um, although they're not really doing weapons as much anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I'll go AP. Sure. Of course, they have said that they're um, they're avoiding AP creep this edition. Yeah. Um, so but, you know, avoiding rerolls, and here we are. So. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, you know what? That actually makes it a really good answer because, um, yeah. Talking out the rouses. All right, Lewis, have you got an answer for me? Yep. So mine is going to be the Bastion Imperialis. Very nice. Robotorn special. So it's going to come out of the Robotorn model, and it's going to mean any Space Marine that joins Robotorn on his Bastion Imperialis gets plus seven to their toughness. Plus seven. Yep. Toughness eleven. Space Marines. We could see another uh, loyalist Primarch because it has been. Has it been one every edition, or is it? Well, it's massively was it seventh. Was it sixth? A, um, or was it seventh that um, Gilliman came out? Seventh. Uh, uh, seventh, yeah. 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 There was a oh. um, there was someone who said like years and years ago they saw in the studio mm. they saw um, a Angron model, a uh, Lionel Johnson model, a Magnus model, a Mortarian model, and a Lehman Ross model. And obviously they make stuff and throw stuff away all the time. So we don't know if it will ever actually come out, but it is the one of models they'd seen. So. Sure, sure. Eamon Ross coming at you. It would be a popular choice, I think. Hmm. Not as popular as Dawn, but it's definitely a choice. <laughs> yeah, probably more popular. But way cooler. Uh, yeah. um, Just a bit unkempt, isn't he? A bit uncivilised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lovely stuff. Well, thank you for those questions. That was Jasher who left that question there. Thank you, Jasher. Uh, thank you all for joining us. It's been a blast. And uh, I think we have decided that we don't need Tom. The coup has been successful. And <laughs> I will see you again <laughs> next week hosting that 6++ plus 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 show. <laughs> if I'm not hosting, there's been a murder. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Bye.